So this crazy group of guys walks into a shop. Crazy? You mean they're insane? Nah, I mean they're this group of freaks you wouldn't want to walk down the street with, you get me? Oh, so they're not afflicted with madness, just weird. What would you call a kid with a monkey tail who's horny all the time, a magic-using replicant with nothing for a face but eyes even though he's talking a lot, some crazy kid with cat ears who's been living with these wacky things called moogles all whole life, a knight who can't remember how to keep his armor shiny so it clanks all the time, a dragoon who's half-rodent with the ability to suspend the laws of gravity, some crazy Muppet monstrosity that likes to eat everything in sight, some princess whose mother looked like Jabba the Hutt except she was actually adopted, and a guy who looks like a blue man group member with red dreadlocks. I call them a bar fight waiting to happen. Yeah, well, that's not what they do. They're together in the bar and griping about all the stuff they've been through. Something about some crazy other replicant who wore a tong even though he's supposed to be a guy going crazy and ripping up the oil. Wait, wait, wait. He wears a tong? Yeah, and nothing else around the waist. Thanks for that image. Oh, I need a drink to get rid of it. So anyways, they beat up the crazy tong wearing nut job and this freaky thing that, come, that came out of nowhere and wanted to destroy everything. And then what's the tank they get? Hoard? Money? Fame? Good pensions? Exactly. They got the whole life set forever and they're happy about it. Well, not a very complicated story, you know. Well, you know, when you put it like that, it reminds me of a whole bunch of other things we've seen on RPG Backtrack. Today on RPG Backtrack, we gush over the last Final Fantasy masterpiece to grace the PlayStation 1. But first, the panel gets their demonic occult on by talking about a duo of PC classics. If that's not enough, Phil introduces a new high standard for the infamous toilet rating system. We also have a last minute special, so hang on until the end of the show to hear our thoughts on the GOG marketing stunt. All of this and a mind-twisting contest question on today's episode of RPG Backtrack. RPG Backtrack, where we discuss computer and console RPGs from way back when, right up to yesteryear. It's also the place where we can't pronounce any proper nouns, encourage spoilers, and the hosts seem to lose each other. My name is Bill Willis, and my other host, Mike Minky, unfortunately, is on the injured reserve list today. And welcome to RPG Backtrack number 25, titled Blade Runner in the Mist. But never fear, you guys will not have to listen to my voice for the whole entire duration of this podcast, because I have brought with me a... Quintrilogy of guests to help me out. Yeah, I think that's the word I'm looking for. First up, Miss Becky Cunningham. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Went to the zoo today. It was a fabulous day. Fun times at the zoo. What's your favorite animal? Indeed. Oh, I love the big cats. Wow. You know, I don't go by Ocelot on the site for nothing. I've always wanted to, like, just, you know, in my backpack when I'm in a zoo, just carry, like, a big box of catnip and when I was looking, throw it in a cage and see what they do with it, the big tigers and stuff. Wouldn't that be neat? If you look on YouTube, there's actually a video of a big cat reserve that did that. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> nice. And back for another round is Mr. John Callender. I, uh, I finished Mass Effect 2 today. I, I haven't really done much else. Ooh. So is it, is it all that it's hyped up to be? Uh, in my personal opinion, yes, for what little it counts for. Ah, so Mr. John Yearless has saying, yes, come and play Mass Effect 2. Mr. Scott Wackamater, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing okay. Ah, that's better. How are things going for you this week? Play anything fun, new, interesting, exciting? I, uh, based on last backtrack, I did pick up, uh, Sonic Chronicles. <laughs> Wait, oh, I I'm thought, sorry. I'm about to say, I thought we all talked bad about that game. <laughs> Yeah, but I don't listen to you, so... <laughs> I... 
so everyone knows Scott Wackamater just basically does the opposite of what the panel says we sh- uh, an average RP gamer should do. Yes. Yeah, that's a major fail. Mr. Tom Gold something. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing ace. All right, ace. Wow, that that's better because I think last night was Joker, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. I don't. Queen of Hearts. I don't know. Goodbye. Play anything? Play anything new, fun, and exciting? Do anything exciting this week? Oh, well, I tried to beat Devil Survivor, but the last boss was too hard, so I gave up and started to play Chrono Trigger instead. Uh, so basically, John beat a game, and in your case, the game beat you. Yeah, I, I actually, I think I know how to beat it, but I'll have to, I just, I already started playing Chrono Trigger, so I'm on to that now. Alrighty, fair enough. And welcome back to RPG Backtrack, Mr. Max. I'm not even going to try to mess with your last name, dude. Hi, hello. There he is. How are you doing? Doing anything fun, new and exciting this week? Uh, No, not really. I'm Uh, working on my portfolio. All right, cool beans. Well, that's our panel, and we... um, before we go on, did you all see just one little side note? I don't normally do news or anything like that because we're always talking about games that are like 18 years old and stuff. But did you all see the, the news about uh, GOG, good old games? Yes, that was strange. Yes. So basically, in case our audience missed it, if you go to GOG.com right now, um, their front page just isn't up. Instead, there's this little letter to everybody out there that basically says – We've recently had to give some serious thought to whether we can really keep GOG.com the way it is. We've debated on it for quite some time, and unfortunately, we decided that GOG.com simply cannot remain in its current form. We're very grateful to all the support we received from you over the past two years. Working on GOG was a great adventure for all of us and an unforgettable journey to the past through the long and wonderful history of PC gaming. This doesn't mean that the idea behind GOG is gone. We're closing down the service and putting the era behind us as a new challenges await. On a technical note, this week we'll put a place uh, we'll put in place a solution to allow everyone to re-download their games. So. GOG, we, we, we were all the time talking about GOG on this podcast because some of the PC games that we talk about, most of us have gotten off of GOG. They do an excellent or did an excellent job of, of releasing old-fashioned uh, games and RPGs uh, that would work on Windows, Vista, and XP, and, and even uh, most of them would work on 7 for the most part. Uh, and it, was a, it, it was better than even some of Steam's compatibility with some of its older games and whatnot. I mean, I just really, really love GOG. This, this makes it sound like the, the site's Pretty pretty much gone, but I did some research. I did some digging. Did, did any of y'all do any research or digging? I did some digging. And what did you find out, Mister Wackamater? That they might be bringing it back with some options for games with DRM, just because the publishers were really leaning on them to add that. Ah, so it was the DRM thing. That's what people were theorizing yesterday. Yeah. There was. Go ahead, Tom. I said they'll be announcing the whatever happens next Wednesday. Wednesday, yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot of spec- there's a lot of speculation. One of it is that um, is that there was apparently a message that one of the big high ups, I don't know if it was the CEO or whatever have you, had released on a foreign language website. And when it's translated, it basically says, "Guys, just ignore what's going to happen on the site the next few days." It's, it's, so, in other words, this is a, a big publicity stunt. Uh, and why would they do this? Well, because the rumor is they're coming out of beta. And they're coming out with the, you know, with the final GOG. GOG's been in beta for the last two years. It's always had that beta flag at the top. So, 
It's been in beta so long, we've sort of forgot. We kind of sort of <laughs> forgot. That's right. Sort of like Gmail. Yeah. So the so so one of the rumors is is that basically they're just they're just going to come out of beta. They're doing this as a marketing ploy. They certainly have got the internet a buzz, if nothing else. If this is a marketing ploy, I don't know if it's the best one they could have chosen, but um, if that's the case, then the idea would be that they would come out beta, maybe have a new client to handle downloads and things like that. Some of the other speculation, like you said, is that they're reorganizing to make the publishers happy because of the comment that they made before they went down. Something about it's hard to keep publishers happy was said on Twitter that maybe they would be coming out with a new GOG that has. Um, uh, has DRM and then yet uh, another speculation is that because there's some problem with uh, I guess one of the parent companies that recently bought them out and I'm not very good about business stuff but uh, that it actually may be a, a problem because GOG really hasn't been all that profitable and maybe they are pulling the plug so we're going to see we're going to find out on Wednesday but if it is the Inagog I know I will be very very sad and I'm very so glad that I actually downloaded all my purchases and saved them on a remote hard drive but I, I will still be very very sad Anywho, so we'll hopefully we'll have some good news on the next back check about GOG. So while y'all are going to rush to GOG.com to read those things for yourself and do some Yahoo searching or whatnot, we're going to take a moment's break, and we'll be right back to talk about PC gaming. As most of you guys know, my handle on RP Gamer is JC Servant, and occasionally somebody says, "Does that stand for you know Jesus Christ Servant?" Yes, yes, actually it does because of of my faith and and what I do on my other website. That's the handle I've had for over a decade. So I am not allowed to talk about this next game. I can't even say the name of it. Thankfully, I have brought a whole bunch of pagans with me that have no problem talking about the unfathomable evil that constitutes this duo of games. Who wants to introduce our PC pit stop of the month? That was a really fancy way of saying you don't want to talk about Diablo because you haven't really played it or you don't care for it. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so tonight we will be talking about Diablo. Diablos 1 and 2 or whatever Diablos you care to talk about. Um, probably not much about 3 yet since it's not out. So, um, since everybody knows pretty much the basics of Diablo. You have a dude, you go in a dungeon, you kill some stuff, you get some loot. I thought it'd be more interesting to talk a little bit about not not just our experiences, but um, why Diablo is so darn popular. Any thoughts? Well, I mean, and I wasn't really into it when it came out, and it was immensely popular. As I mentioned before we started recording, uh, I, I played it about a couple of years ago. I, I, I got it off of Half.com or something like that for a few bucks. So my perspective on it is a lot different. But from, from what I understand, just talking with friends and stuff, I mean, this was this was one of the first dungeon crawler type of games that uh, that was just very well balanced and you could play it with all your friends at the same time. 
Uh, and mm-hmm. so it was those combinations of the fact that it was decently balanced, uh, that you had the random loot system, the random dungeon system to keep it fresh on multiple run throughs, and the, 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 how the classes played so differently from one another, combined with this functionality of being able to play with multiple other people. It just was mind blowing at the time, from what I understand. And people would be up all night playing this. Yeah, it was definitely the co-op that um, made me. I played through all of Diablo 1 with um, a couple of friends on a school land, and that was definitely the fun part about it, especially, I thought, especially with Diablo 1, because it had friendly fire, and it was always kind of fun to stab your friends in the back. Mm. (laughs) So you could attack each other? Um. Sort of, uh, especially if you were playing an archer. Uh, I guess it was rogue in, in Diablo 1. Um, I, I was usually the rogue, and you would shoot the monsters, and sometimes your arrows would go astray and hit the warrior, and the warrior would get mad. Hmm. <laughs> Sounds pretty devious. Uh, Scott, um, did, did you play some of this? Um my experience with Diablo was a tad different. In high school, a few of my friends became very obsessed with playing it over with each other uh, over Battle.net. And they just kept going, you, you gotta play, we need a necro, you gotta play, we need a necro. So I, I, I went out, picked up the battle chest, installed Diablo 1, I think I played through maybe the first bit of it, and then everyone was like, no, no, no no one cares about the plot. Just Just install 2 and create a necromancer, we gotta run you through this. And then I spent, um, a fair chunk of my time of uh, sophomore year just going through Diablo 2 online on a modem. <laughs> Which, yeah, <laughs> yeah, everyone loved just how little phone conversations they had for that semester <laughs> as I just kept, you know, grinding for loot. Was. What being that this was back in the day of the, you know, fifty six k or even the twenty eight k modem, were there network latency issues? You know, I never really noticed it. It, like, uh, a few of the staff members were playing the other night, and there was more lag in that session than I remember on the fifty six k. But we were more tolerant to that type of stuff back then. Although I actually, yes. I, I was, being being a fair bit older than you, I was playing um, after I'd graduated from university and was working at um, the university on a nice uh, Ethernet system. Oh, so, yeah. so you you touched just a little bit. You were saying how your friends are like, ah, don't worry about the story. No one cares about the story or whatever have you. Um, with Blizzard, of course, they're the masters of storytelling. But r- r- real action – I mean I'm sorry, real-time action RPGs don't always lend themselves to really great storytelling. How was the, the storytelling in Diablo? Was it a good story? Did anybody really care? Because mostly when I hear people talk about this game, it's about, like you said, the, the ability to play with other people, the gameplay itself. I don't hear a whole lot positive or negative about the story. Uh, Stay I think a I while cared. and listen. <laughs> I think I cared for the storyline once. Um, I think when you get – when you sort of started to get stuck in with the the randomly generated dungeons, you, you pay attention to the story once, and then you just you know hack and slash fifty times through the through the depths of hell. Doesn't only really add something the first time. I feel. Well, Blizzard. Not only are they masters of storytelling, but they're masters of storytelling that no one really cares about. Like, does anyone remember the <laughs> one of Starcraft one at this point? 
No. Yeah, I remember the whole you plot of StarCraft remember, one. You effing remember StarCraft, though. <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, this is true. Uh, well, I, 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 I... You know, actually, I really did like the story... In, in both StarCrafts, I mean, really, really well. But I really thought that every other Blizzard game I played has pretty, been pretty much throwaway. World of Warcraft, Warcraft 3, yeah, the other couple of guys I played. And, and the Diablo I played for, uh, I didn't get all the way through it, but for the half I played, um, I, I, I thought it was kind of throwaway. But then again, I was give you know, it's it's a 19, what was it, 1998? 99? Seven. 97, wow. Seven. Yeah, so. Yeah, that was the first one. I think I was just impressed that it even had voice acting in it. I can't remember how much it had, but that one quote you just said, I remember that. <laughs> I mean, the main thing you have to know about the story of Diablo is the hero of Diablo 1 becomes the villain of Diablo 2 because he killed Diablo, but I think some sort of demonic shard got stuck in his brain or something and then he turned all evil. No, he stuck it in his own brain because oh, he did he? that was the best plan. Yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah, I remember that. We were making fun of that. <laughs> if you go through, like, if you go into sort of the supplement supplemental materials, they do also mention that uh, the warrior is sort of the canon guy who killed Diablo, but the mage and the rogue are sort of mentioned as having gone in, gone mad, and turned evil and become sort of minor villains in the second game. Mm. Yeah, it's a typical Blizzard storyline. Somebody gets corrupted. Yeah, it, it it's all, you did this thing, and that's great, but then you f***ed it up. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's getting bleeped. Oh yeah. Ampersand. Ampersand. <laughs> Shoot. So so now if you play the game today, it's really hard on the eyes because it's using I believe 640 by 480 resolution. But yeah. I, when y'all played the game, did you were you really impressed with the graphics back then? No. Even then it was not impressive. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was impressed up until the point in which I picked up the PC version of Final Fantasy VII. Mm, that would have mm. done it. Yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, the the cinematics were really good, especially in Diablo II, if I recall. Yeah, they those were really good. And Blizzard are the master of cinematics, though. They're they're very good at that. Yeah, I would argue about them being the masters of storytelling, but I won't argue with them being masters of cinematics. Um, when you have one of the things that I think uh, when I think about when I was playing Diablo is as I was going through as you gain levels it's kind of like World of Warcraft in the fact that you kind of got these talent points that you basically pour into your various skills or whatnot but unfortunately there's really no guide kind of telling you that this skill is going to be terribly useful or later on like my fireball spell which was my bread and butter at the beginning was even with points put into it really didn't feel very effective towards the middle part of the game um did, did and there's really no way to respect like there is in a, in a World of Warcraft. Was that an issue that y'all ran into? When I talk to other people about it, they're like, oh yeah, we just start over again. That's part of the fun. Yeah, the respect button is the delete character button. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, was that is that really considered fun? I mean, to restart new characters, say, oh, well, that build didn't work out. Let me start over again. Or did y'all find that frustrating? Or, you know, to realize your character just isn't working out? The game is so addictive, you don't really notice it. Like, uh, a friend, like, my, uh, we, in my first year, my second year of university, we, we set this game up on the house land, and we had a friend who, I think, played through 12 different necromancers, uh, hitting delete and starting over again, about 
just into Act 3 over and over and over. And she did not care. She was more than happy going through, clicking things till they died, and getting loot again and again. That's kind of yeah. crazy. I played um, a f- a f- I don't know if people know of the different specs of the different characters but I I uh, started a barbarian for my first online character when I played with other people and so I made him a frenzy bar- barbarian just yeah. because they can the more they like hit people the faster they move and I just liked running around the map really fast but then once you actually try to play with other people you find out that those are pretty much useless so yes. I basically just You're had a character that for all your support. <laughs> yeah, I basically just had a useless character, but luckily I accidentally deleted him, so I started over with a new character. See, I, I think I recall somebody told me what to do in Diablo two. Diablo one, I I don't think you really had to worry about messing up your character too much. It wasn't that bad, but Diablo two, I think someone I was like, I'm gonna play an Amazon. They're like, okay, play a Javazon, the ones with the javelins. So I did, and it was fine, but I never got past the jungle in Diablo 2 anyway, so. I, I personally found that um, I didn't seem to care that much about um, how I, I, I was quite young when I played the original Diablo. I just didn't seem to kind of mind that much that my character may be, um, sort of not be useful by my, my power choices or whatever. I, I didn't really get into that at all, I, I said, don't think, until I actually started actively playing um, MMOs which happened quite a lot later. Mm. Yeah, it could certainly make your game more challenging, if nothing else. <laughs> so, now, was there so was there a big improvement from Diablo 1 to Diablo 2? I know that you had a couple more classes, right? Yeah, there was a definite, definite step up for the game, and then you had the expansion in, and that's another big step up. And the most recent patch of Diablo 2 actually did add a respec button. <laughs> oh, did it really? Yeah. Oh, get out. I didn't know that. I might go back yeah. and play it now. <laughs> you only get it, like, once per playthrough, though. So, <laughs> choose wisely. Choose wisely. Well, that, that's, that's fairly decent of them, though. I mean, at least you get something. So, was <laughs> uh, the graphics were a little bit better, if I remember right. Didn't it use a higher resolution in number two? Yeah, they jumped to, like, 8 by six four, 800 by 640 or something. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> so, was the formula... Did the formula feel more solid in two? I mean, was it a more addictive experience? Were the random dungeons better designed? Uh, you know, what, what was y'all's impression of that? Well, Diablo 1 was just one dungeon. Yeah. So, you had the town of... Tristam, I guess, and you went down in the one dungeon, and that was it. So Diablo 2 had, like, a whole world with different settings and different dungeons. Um, plus, I think, I don't even remember, did you have specs in Diablo 1 where you had to choose your build, like, between a bunch of at- abilities? I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, you had whole talent okay, trees. Okay, okay they, they did have talent trees, but I think the talent trees were improved a fair bit for Diablo 2. Yeah, much more varied. Yeah. Um, and I, and I can't think of any other game before that. Maybe y'all can. Where I think that was one of the biggest things about Diablo is that it, it really brought out one was the random dungeon aspect, and number two was the was the loot, random loot all over the place that would just spring off of enemies. So basically, you were kind of encouraged to grind. I mean, was there any game before that that really pulled or tried to pull that off? Any of those concepts? Uh, roguelikes, really. Yeah, 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 that's yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, roguelikes, of course. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why a lot of the current games are called Diablo clones when they do that. It was the first one to really do it in that way. So my question to you is, with the the the, the gluttony of Diablo type of games that have come out since Diablo, I mean, we have Sacred and and all kinds of other games. I, I don't even remember the names. Just tons of Diablo type of games. Um, not to mention a number of them on the PlayStation, like Champions of Norath or whatever it's called. Everyone keeps saying that to this day, Diablo's formula still hasn't been beat. Why do you think that statement is made so often? Is it simply nostalgia, or is it because none of these other games really get that get either one of those formulas down as well? Part of it is well, one when Blizzard does something, they take their time and they just polish it to a, an absolute mirror shine, and it spawns a lot of imitators. But the imitators never clue in to the whole thing. They think, oh, this one aspect is what makes the game. So they'll think, oh, it's, it's all about random dungeons and loot. So they make a whole bunch of things with random dungeons and loot, and then sort of forget about the character customization, or uh, the art design. Or they think it's about the character customization, and they sort of don't do as well with the randomized dungeons and loot. So this game really, really is just very strong, and it's had a lot of staying power. Also, um, shout out to SeamusYoung.com for coining the phrase third-person looter for uh, <laughs> a substitute for Diablo clone. Yes. And I mean, randomized, nothing... uh... Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say the, um, the randomized... Uh, um, the formula for randomizing loot and distributing it to players over the course of, you know, all these dungeon levels is also really hard to pull off. It's, uh... I think I heard the people behind, um... Torchlight talking about that. Just the, the the way you constantly advance players through better and better loot is just really hard. You like putting stats on on each weapon. It's just hard to design. So mm. that could be um, one of the reasons. And Diablo you know, Blizzard has the luxury of being able to put as much time as they pretty much want into into it. And there's also the sense of humor, which I've never seen in another one of the clones. Torchlight has a little bit of it, but it's just that the little touches that, that Blizzard throws into all their games, like the secret cow level in Diablo 2. Um, it's also moddable, and there are quite a few mods out for it. Like My husband was playing Diablo 2 mods for a while, and there was one that turned every enemy into a cow from the secret cow level. So there were like you, you would hear like 16 cows on the screen going, murr, 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 and I cracked up for days over that thing. Um, so there's just so many things that people have done with the game that it's really hard to to make a replacement for it. So would you say, let's say, Torchlight seems to have really come out to some good critical acclaim, though, and it's it's really risen in popularity, um, relatively speaking. To, I think I think I hear a lot more about that than I do about you know Sacred, which I would think is a comparable title. Do do you think that when Torchlight gets multiplayer, it'll be you know, would it would be in the category of Diablo, or do you think Diablo still has it for a particular reason? I think if I think... Torchlight can get the multiplayer, I think it'll definitely be sort of bumped up into a very similar weight class. Who's going to win out in the end? Uh, still up for debate. I personally think pe- multiplayer Torchlight is what people will play while they're waiting for Diablo three to come out. Quite frankly, mm-hmm. it's, it oh, doesn't it doesn't quite have it. And as it's I said, sort of like Diablo Light. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so if you that like Torchlight, you definitely want to 
uh, maybe want to go back and check out the old albums, but you're definitely going to want to see the new one. I, I tell you, after like you said, uh, one of y'all said uh, Blizzard just makes every polishes everything to a shine, and there's a lot of criticism for how long they took to get StarCraft two out. But I've been playing that for the last six weeks, and oh boy, does it shine! And I'm really excited about Diablo, even though I really, really didn't get into either one of the last two, just because. I can't wait to see what they do with this. I think it's going to be really, really good. So my eye's definitely on it. All right. Any other final thoughts before we leave? So is that, would you all let me ask you one question, and then we'll we'll close this one out. Would you would you recommend that people go back and play it if they haven't played it yet, or or should they play Torchlight or Sacred instead or something else? I'd say Torchlight um, holds up better, but you should definitely play Diablo. You know, start with the first one, try it for a little. I mean, what? How? It's probably really cheap, so you can still get the battle. It's easy to find the battle chest for twenty bucks. So, and the battle no reason the battle not to if you're even remotely interested, no reason to not find it and play. <laughs> the battle I chest. Still... The battle chest has what? One, two, uh, the expansion pack, and a couple of strategy guys, actually. So, check it out. Um, Go ahead, Becky. There's there's still a lot of people on Battle.net, so still people playing it. Yeah, that's that's one thing. It's about Blizzard's games. Like you said, they keep polishing it. I think they, they were, like you said, they just patched it so you could respec. They're still supporting it uh, ten years later. Um, and yeah, anytime I go on StarCraft One Battle.net, there's still there's still plenty of players on there to play with. So definitely a, a good uh, good company. Alrighty, well thank you so much guys for for that chit chat about that word I'm not allowed to say. And <laughs> while I go to confessional about having this discussion, uh, we're gonna take a break and we'll be right back. So, my, my priest let, said I was all good to go and ready to talk about more video games. And we were we are chit-chatting about the last entry in the PlayStation 1's catalog of Final Fantasy games. Final Ooh. Fantasy IX. And let's just get this out of the way right now. Guys, is Final Fantasy IX the best of the PlayStation 1 trilogy? Yes. Yes. Yes, but that's a dubious honor. <laughs> <laughs> valedictorian at uh, summer school <laughs> Tom what do you think yeah sure it's pretty great uh, it's not all of its I mean it's not I would say they're all in a category of their own I mean they're they're all good in their own way but it's a pretty nice pretty good game <laughs> Final Fantasy 9 Released on the PlayStation 1 in Japan, July 7, 2000. And here in North America on November 14th. Now, I remember 
in looking at the previews for this game and some of the marketing hype that it was it was it was saying that this was going to be the last traditional Final Fantasy with the with with some of the traditional trappings that we've had, such as the black mages with their blue robes and big yellow hats and the white mages and whatnot. Uh, that this was going to be the last tra- quote unquote traditional uh, Final Fantasy RPG. Did y'all see a lot of that marketing stuff out there? Yeah. How did that make you feel when you when you heard that? I mean, did that sound like a good idea to you, a bad idea? What was what was your feelings when you heard that this was going to be a very traditional kind of a step back, but the last step back? How did that make you feel? It sounded like an awesome idea because, um, I mean, I think most people would say that. Uh, well, who grew up in a certain era would say that Final Fantasy uh, four and six are probably some of the best ones in their time in the Final Fantasy era, and then 7 and 8 were good games, but um, it was it was just a different turn for the series. So it was nice to see that uh, Square was recognizing the fans that wanted something classic again. How about you, Becky? How did you feel about it? Well, remember, um, Final Fantasy 8 was my first ever console game. Final Fantasy 9 was the first ever console game that I finished. Um, I loved it. It's one of my favorites, but I didn't know anything about it before I started playing it because I was clueless about the console world at that time. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts about? I mean, how and how did it make you feel, Tom, when you when you, after you had played the game and you had beat the game, and knowing that there wasn't going to be another traditional Final Fantasy type of game? Well, I don't think they said that they were never going to do a traditional one again, did they? It was. I, mean, it was I, I don't remember. Yeah, it was like it was like they were saying this was going to be the last one in in that that the ones moving forward would be in modern settings and a more modern feel to them, uh, you know, from the ground up as far as combat system goes and whatnot. And certainly, as we look at ten, ten two, twelve, thirteen, you, you definitely don't have people walking around the white robes anymore. The combat's um, uh, is it has evolved past your you know what we had. You know, with the uh, Final Fantasy four, six, and and whatnot. Right, and then thirteen is just plain awful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I, mean, I just do, had to get a bash in there. Do you feel like that? Do you feel like they should make a more like Final Fantasy nine? Uh, without a doubt, I think they should be looking back towards um, the older Final Fantasies where Final Fantasy grew up, um, primarily in like the battle system. I actually really liked Final Fantasy twelve's battle system. The story was an, was another story. Um but I think they should definitely look back to it, um, how, how you how you can teach your uh your uh party so many different abilities and there's like little secrets hidden all over and you you never know what's gonna happen. You never know if you're gonna have an enemy that you were once fighting like in your party. I think they should definitely look back towards that. And also, you know, I don't know. I just I'm not in I'm not into the the character designs for for like Final Fantasy 13 and, and even 12. That was my problem with that game. You know, I, I think uh, you know if 15 or 16 or whatever went back to a fantasy setting. I you know I think that'd be pretty awesome. I I didn't know that that it was a uh, supposedly the last one was nine. Kind of makes me sad. Yeah, it kind of reintroduced the medieval setting and yeah they. Anyway, so let's talk a little bit about, about this setting. Who wants to set up what the world was like and, and the atmosphere of the game? Becky! 
<laughs> I feel like the teacher just picked on me. Um, well, I mean, it was actually not inc- entirely traditional fantasy. It was sort of a little bit of steampunk thrown into it. Um, so you start off in a big sort of semi-fantasy, semi-steampunk um, kingdom, and um, there's princesses and capers, and the princess gets semi-kidnapped, except she kind of wanted to be, and sort of that cool swashbuckling adventure setup, and then you end up running around through a fantasy kingdom that ends up being at war and trying to save the world. Well, I, I just always find it interesting, is Final Fantasy IX is credited for being, you know, a kind of it fantasy but with this kind of steampunk element and it you look you look at uh, Final Fantasy IX's plot and the, the the steam of steampunk turns out to actually be a plot point for most of well actually it does kind of follow you pretty much throughout all four discs of the plot um it, it, and it i think it builds itself quite well on it um so yeah oh that's pretty Hello, sweet buddy. Yeah, and and off the injured reserve list, Mr. Mike, welcome on the well, show. Sort of off the injured reserve list. I'm keeping my whole hand elevated, the better to avoid the bleeding starting again, because I, well, you know, after you start bleeding for a few minutes at a time and it won't stop until you hold the thing straight, then you don't want it to bleed some more. Oh, ouchie. Why don't well, you go to the hospital, man? <laughs> uh, because I have a, a little popsicle stick for a splint and super glue the thing and it's supposed to stay now and the last time I went to urgent care I, well remember I'm dealing with American medical care Europe and Canada with those awesome socialized medicine, medical practices you know I have to deal with the lousy service here and the horrendous bills here uh, but we must be getting better because I heard today that we just passed the 50% mark the government now pays for over 50% of all medical bills in America. Go figure. All right. So we won't get off on that tangent. Uh, Mike, we're just, we were just talking. only derail us further. I know, right? Um, I was just talking about the, the setting. We were just talking about the setting in Final Fantasy IX, the world and the atmosphere. Uh, what were your thoughts on that? My thoughts were it reminded me quite a bit of four and six, which were the only Final Fantasies I had previously played at the time I played nine. Which was a conscious decision of the developers, I understand. They were going for an homage to the earlier Final Fantasies previous to PlayStation, and they pretty much succeeded. It feels like a far less futuristic sort of world and more set in medieval times, and I liked that. I also like... Well, I'm sure everyone else will touch on this from time to time, but the PlayStation was pushed to its absolute limit in rendering the mm-hmm. visuals of this game. <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty. <laughs> oh yeah, very pretty. Are any of you playing? Uh, played this on the PSP? Nope. No. Yeah, it looks even better on the teeny two and a half inch screen. I think it's kind of shrunk down, but yeah, no, the 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 art actually still holds up pretty well to this day when it's when it's on in the power you know in the palm of your hand. It's pretty cool. All those chunky pixels, kind of you don't notice them on the smaller screen, maybe. You, no, no, not as much. I mean, you still notice them, but not nearly as bad as Final Fantasy VII. Um, I would like to say that my memories are a little less than fresh since I played this in 2004, but I don't remember having any big problems navigating the backgrounds the way I did with Seven and Eight. Maybe that was just me. Maybe everybody else is going, what the hell are you thinking? These backgrounds are terrible, and I can't find the exit anywhere. So if anyone does have that problem, say so right now. 
No, I didn't, I didn't get have lost. That <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's go from the setting and let's talk about the very uh, varied cast of, uh, of of characters in this game. Monkey Boy. Monkey Boy. Let's talk about what is it? Zidane, I believe. Zidane, yeah. Oh. Zidane Tribal. I gotta slaughter his name like everybody else's, otherwise it's not fair. <laughs> so what did y'all yes, think of the... Yes, what are you going to call the, the princess's uh, adopted name? Are you going to screw that one up? Probably. So, <laughs> what did y'all think of Mr. Uh, uh, Zidane? Well, I thought he was... Yeah, I thought he was adorable. Uh, I like swashbuckling heroes, and, and he was pretty good. Um, and, and, you know, he had... He had lots of cute little personality points. He was terrible with women, even though he thought he was good with them, and that was pretty cool. I liked him. Uh, yeah, um, I think the, what the series really kind of needed after um, the, the the kind of more moody heroes from seven and eight was a kind of you know go happy, positive, optimistic kind of hero. You know, a, 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 just as um, Becky said, a, a swashbuckler. That's what they needed. Yeah, he was definitely kind of a, a breath of fresh air after. You know the typical, like you said, the typical moody, spiky haired, you know, type of uh, uh, protagonist you usually get in a lot of JRPGs. Yeah, I would say that up until the third disc, when something happens that involves him being revealed to be sort of a replicant out of Blade Runner. Hey, uh, hey Mike, Mike. Yes. It, it it almost sounds like to me that you sidestepped a spoiler. Except that I did say he becomes a replicant out of Blade Runner in Everything But Name. Is that a spoiler? I'll call I think it a you, I think you need to give us the whole spoiler. Well, to preface this, I should say that until this point, he is, in fact, pretty lighthearted, carefree, sometimes horny, but that's fine. And <laughs> just he's just a blast to watch until this thing happens where he learns that, in fact... He was made to perform a mission out by the denizens of Terra. I don't remember the details here, but I remember him learning, oh, man, I'm actually a robot, and I don't know what What am I going to do with myself? And that prompted a surprisingly short length of time where he's really, really morose and has to be cheered up by everybody on the team, but it also had a really cool musical backdrop, so I was willing to forgive it for that. And everybody whose memories are fresher can go into this with more detail. Yeah, the translation was so bad, I wasn't entirely sure what was going on at that point. <laughs> whoever whoever translated the game did a pretty good job up until that point, at which point I think their Japanese-to-English ability failed them. <laughs> I don't know. It didn't seem so bad. I thought it made sense. Okay, okay. I, I was not terribly familiar with JRPGs at that point, so that might have been my a little bit of me too, but I was like, what the hell are they saying? <laughs> Well, see, the way I saw it is um, uh, Zidane was um, was effectively created to sort of perform the role of the uh, the game's one of the game's primary antagonists, um, the surprisingly effeminate Kuja. Um, uh, Zidane was supposed to be uh, his replacement when Kuja eventually expired, um, and the you know this, this right out of Blade Runner. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much, um, and this this you know this earth-shattering revelation that he um, he was designed and created to perform 
effectively what Kudra had been doing up until that point in the plot, which was to basically um, plunge the entire world into war and um, something about the cycle of souls. My memory's going a bit as well. Um, and that's what prompts his his sort of very brief uh, mental breakdown and music-inspired trip to recovery. <laughs> hey, Max, do you um, remember? Well, we think we lost Max. We're not really sure. Oh. What about Tom? Do you remember anything about this? No, because I my replay only made it to like the beginning of disc, the end of disc two. I don't even remember. Okay. Well, yeah, that's, that's the bi- that's the big moment for Zidane. So that's his major character development when he learns that he is in fact a replicant. And so, I mean, definitely very. It sounds like a very, I mean, relatively speaking, a, a more original story than what we get out of out of a lot of the other JRPGs and whatnot. I mean, did y'all find did y'all find this story captivating and gripping? I liked it best before the revelation part. I liked the politics, and there was some really surprisingly sad moments in in, in the game. Something I wasn't expecting, being from the world of PC games. Um, we really didn't have a lot of emotional type scenarios, like entire towns being destroyed, like with people you actually cared about in them, stuff like that. So. So what? Let's talk about uh, Princess uh, Gardner. Princess Garner. Yes, she's she's related Gardner. to that woman who's been in a lot of movies, right? You know that uh. Jennifer Garner lady. Never mind. This is falling flat. I can hear it audibly thudding on the floor. <laughs> so let's just move on. She can cast <laughs> cure. Yeah. <laughs> she she has remember. a magical haircut scene. Yes, I remember this scene. We get a beautiful CGI of her triumphantly cutting her hair. Can you not feel the emotion, the pathos of the haircutting scene? What did y'all Isn't think that about like that? like a Japanese thing? Yeah. Because that happened in Naruto, too, so... <laughs> and Tales of the Abyss. Tales uh, okay. of the Abyss, yeah. Yeah, it's like a Japanese thing. You cut your hair and you're like an adult or something. You're empowered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, did y'all feel the pathos on that scene? Or oh, were yes. you wondering what the heck? Yeah. It was a magical haircut scene. I was like, pretty, pretty graphics. Actually, I think it was the first time I'd seen a. Uh, I think it was the first time I'd seen a, uh, a haircutting scene in an RPG, and I don't think I saw it again until Tales of the Abyss. <laughs> <laughs> hey, my friends used to make me watch a lot of anime, so. <laughs> uh, Garnet was one of the least the characters I found least annoying. In uh, final, I mean, I do like the story, but. I mean, Steiner, I know we're not talking about him yet, but Steiner's incredibly annoying. Vivi gets a little annoying with his whining. Zidane is just, like, overly positive all the time. Um, so, Dag- uh, whatever. Um, Dagger, or Princess, she uh, at least seemed to have a good head on her shoulders. Yeah, should we talk about her adopted family? Here's another spoiler. She's adopted. That thing you see is not really her mother. <laughs> I, I can't imagine. That's a shocker. That was such a shocker, too. Let me tell you. Holy cow. I mean, they're spitting images of one another. I just... <laughs> I don't yeah, know. You just had to wonder what her dad was like if that really was her mother. Oh, boy. Must have been Prince Charming. <laughs> On steroids. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I will say that relative to the I mean yeah when you compare him with Steiner and Vivi and 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 
to a lesser extent, Freya or whatever her name, its name was. Uh, yeah, they, they, they definitely felt, I think, the other Zidane and Princess uh, Gardener felt a little bit more fleshed out and, and more three-dimensional. Her name is Garnet, by the way. Gardener. I've dubbed her Gardener, and if she doesn't like it, she can get off the backtrack. Okay. Oh, yeah, but remember, her, her, she does actually also have her uh, real name as well, um, which apparently is a... I, I never played the original Final Fantasy, but if I remember correctly, one of the princesses in it was called Princess Sarah. Um, and that it, you find out late, much later in the game that that was um, Garnet's original name before mm. she received her adoptive name. Just one of the, those many... Um, you know, continuity thing. Well, not continuity, but, you know, nods to the previous games in the series. Yeah, series ending. I liked her summons, even though you couldn't skip them. I didn't like that part, but the summons were fun to fight with. Yeah, I remember... I remember using Ico's summons, too, but we're not talking about Ico yet. (laughs) Please don't talk about Ico. (laughs) If we're going through a character-by-character wrap-up, I don't think we have a choice. We'll have to. We should just be glad that Fire Mist is not here to take joy in the fact that she has cat ears, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I really kind of felt Steiner was a little bit too flat as a character, but what did y'all feel? He doesn't deserve Beatrix. She was awesome. You I don't guys know. I have think, to say. I think after, uh, if, if, you know, if you take Steiner along for pretty much the entirety of the game, and in, including pretty much everything that um, happens in Disc 4. I think you could, pro- you could probably argue one way or another that he eventually gets over his um, uh, his sort of straight-edge knight shtick and can, you know, <laughs> get together with Beatrix. Not that I really mind that much, but hey. <laughs> closure. Closure. Of course, Beatrix was able to beat the crap out of anyone and anywhere, anytime, which made her unworthy of anyone in your party because they weren't all invincible. (laughs) Beatrix has plot hacks. Yeah. To the highest. And an eye patch. Plot hacks and eye patches. I I really can't resist a lady with an eye patch. That's my problem. Tom, what do you remember about Steiner? Uh, Like I said, I mean... He kind of just plays that role of like the blind. He's got blind faith in his uh, in the queen, and he's always being a jerk to Zidane, to Zidane, even though Zidane's like saving the princess's life. I don't know. It's that character always seems to annoy annoy me whenever I see him in in any piece of media. So he annoyed me a little bit, you know. Like I just I don't know. So he, he annoyed me, but I mean, he at least he was a strong attacker, and you know <laughs> his mat his magic attack when with a mixture with Vivi straight out of Chrono Trigger was pretty cool. And he had a good suit of armor, so he could take hits. You know, he has a suit of armor because it clanks with every step. Yes, yeah. yes, it does. <laughs> Very clanky man. So what about Vivi? What do y'all have to say about? Where is his mouth? That's what I want to know. How is he speaking all of these lines with no mouth? You just can't see it. <laughs> as, 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 I, I, I will say it for the absent Sam who is not here. Vivi is favorite. I like Vivi. He's great. What would you think, Mike, other than the mouth issue? 
Uh, I remember liking him for the most part. Uh, when we finally learned that he is another homage to Blade Runner, it's kind of interesting. He doesn't look much like a replicant, but that's kind of what he is, just a magic-casting replicant. And, yeah, I remember liking him in battle, because black magic is usually pretty handy. And beyond that, I don't have any strong memories of Vivi, so somebody else take it away. I, I seem to remember uh, the first time um, someone, friend of mine, introduced me to Final Fantasy IX um, was during, uh, I think, one of Vivi's early establishing character moments. Um, I mean, up until this point, he kind of acts a bit... Uh, he's very naive about the world, and he's very, um, I think, demure and timid, maybe. Uh, and that's uh, not just the fact that he's only like what three foot tall uh and then like the first thing i was like one of the first things i saw with final fantasy 9 was the um the scene on the airship when you're approaching um south gate uh which i believe is when you first attempt to head to the city of limblum um and it's that particular scene where um vivi suddenly summons up some kind of you know incredible amount of courage somewhere and blows the ever-loving crap out one of these bosses that's been pestering you for the last few hours. And one of the Black Waltzes? Yeah, he blows up Black okay. Waltz number three, who gets one of the most hilarious um, facial expressions about three seconds before he explodes. And <laughs> I think from pretty much from there onward, uh, after I encountered that moment, when I played it through myself, guaranteed Vivi a pretty much permanent spot on my party. He blows stuff up, and he's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, he was—he's a very sort of traditional, um, you know, trying to find yourself kind of um, story, and yeah, it's just—I don't know. There's something really touching about him and his story. I thought. Yeah, Vivi's awesome. Aside from the, his moments of, um, oh, woe is me when, when uh, he doesn't know that uh, how he's different from the other black mages that are just killing innocent people. But you know, I can understand that. You know, that'd be pretty weird if, if I had seen a bunch of people that were all different that looked like me just killing everybody. So yeah, he's cool. He's real. He's a powerful fighter, and he's got cool magic. I don't see how you could really hate him. What about Freya Crescent Moon? I remember her being really good in that hunt sequence, so that she beat Zidane, and I remember her with the ability to levitate while she throws her spirit things, and that was cool. And beyond she that, river I have dance. memories of her, so everybody else go. River dance. River dance. <laughs> she can river dance. dance. Makes her the best character dance. in the game. <laughs> oh, she also had a ridiculously useful ability for restoring MP to all of your party members by draining it out of enemies. Um, that was really, really useful, particularly in a magic-heavy team. Well, she's a dragoon, which is my favorite Final Fantasy class, and that was, I think, when I first learned that it was my favorite Final Fantasy class, because, I don't know, I just love them jumping up in the air and stabbing things, so I, I liked her, and I thought her, I, her story is really sad, you know, she's looking for her husband, who's probably dead. I don't remember if, I ever, if, he, did, if he died or not. No. Oh, Sir Fratley? Sir Fratley, yeah. Yeah, she, encounter, she encounters him in um, Burmesia, uh towards the end of the first disc, I believe. Problem is, oh. is yeah, he's alive, but he has no memory left at all. Ah, right. And uh, and the, I don't think that plot ever really resolves itself particularly well. It's kind of yeah, a shame, really. Yeah, you see that she's sticking with him. Yeah. Mm. yeah. 
Okay. Out of all the dragoons, she's got the coolest jump, too, because other dragoons in, like, six, they just sort of, like, land on the enemy's head, but she, like, throws her spear down and, like, makes this big explosion, so... Yeah, and then and while no she's still in midair, she picks the spear up again. Yeah, so <laughs> she's got the coolest jump. So that brings us to the Master Chef. <laughs> Who is <laughs> the Master Chef in Final Fantasy IX, Mike? That would be Quina. And we have to refer to Quina either by first name basis or by carefully avoiding use of pronouns because Quina we never determine what exactly Quina is except for something that loves to throw anything and everything into its mouth <laughs> and, and uses and a big fork to kill things we, we really probably don't want to know the gender it's really okay <laughs> not to one of the strangest blue mages you'll ever see in Final Fantasy period <laughs> Yes, I, I noticed I that there is a distinct lack of hentai or any references to hentai involving Quina, and that is for the best. Is that it? Uh, so you've gone out and looked, have you? No, this is just imp- this is just uh, based on a guess. I don't have to look. I just know of these things. Uh huh. Anyway, so I have know, the ability to randomly think of things on the internet and know. I mean, the, the full character development arc of Quina is that it likes to eat. Oh, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's it. So, yeah. Wasn't that the tagline how... for one of the Jeepers Creepers movies, it likes to eat? <laughs> Probably. I found it funny how some, some parts of the game, like, Quina will be like, no, keep going, want to eat more. And then the rest of the party's like, she's, it, she's right. And they, like, get inspired by that. It's like, what the hell? <laughs> yes. I will. Re- I remember one scene in particular. Remember uh, when you're breaking up into four groups of two and Zidane is paired with Quina and everybody else is paired with someone else. And I kept thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to get to fight four boss battles sequentially with all the groups. And then, no, it's only Zidane and Quina. The others just fight off screen, which gives you a great reason to bulk up Quina, but... Not anybody else for that encounter. That uh, I, just... seem to re- I seem to remember when I did that one, my queen was horribly underleveled. <laughs> horribly so. All I remember is chasing frogs. It's about it. Yeah, those yeah. frogs are elusive. I'm t- I can't remember what Queen did with the frogs, though. Did, did Queen eat them or. It's implied that she would she would eat them. Oh, so, she, so Queen food. is a she. This is, well, no. it, it, he, she. I think it's a she. They, they write she. it in the game via uh, <clears throat> S forward slash H-E. That's how, each char- that's how every character refers to it. I want to know how they say that. I've got no idea. <laughs> so let's just stick to it because that's a much more versatile pronoun than she or he. So let's see. Have we covered the grounds that Queena... Is, I guess. The what? The what now? Yeah, I think we did. Then I guess we have to move on to Becky's favorite, Aiko. Oh, boy. I noticed Becky is silent on this matter because apparently she can say nothing positive, and that's fine. I hate kid characters. So let's see here. Aiko really, really likes Sedane, I guess. Am I I remembering that rightly? I believe you are remembering that correctly. 
Yes, let's let's not delve too deeply into it because that would be another thing we don't want to have people search for on the internet and find. <laughs> so yeah, Tal, likes, talk, talk about the likes, awesome summons that Aiko can do. <laughs> the Moogle is the really only the one that anybody should care about. Because <laughs> Moogles are the best. Yeah, it's oh, by the time, oh, by the time you get it as a summon, though, it's less. It's more of summoning a Moogle to attack them, and kind of summoning a, a you know, large a sort of lion-esque, humanoid lion-esque thing that um, smacks things extremely hard for holy damage. <laughs> I mean, if I could dance with a Moogle or a large lion thing, I mean, I'd choose the Moogle all day. I don't know really what I'm talking about, but. Yeah. <laughs> Well, she did live in a village of Moogles. You'd, it's surprising that the coolness factor of Moogles didn't rub off more on her. <laughs> She's the worst kind of kid character, the ones that are way too precocious and don't actually act their age. I hate those. That's all I Game have to say. Around is so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> Short <laughs> Round saves that movie. Yeah, Ico Short Round and Wesley Crusher. Doesn't everybody love them all? Uh, Although it is, it is another one of those um, references to previous games. Uh, the summon being called uh, Maduin, Medine. Uh, reference to yeah, reference Maduin. to Maduin, the uh, one of the um, yeah, sort of major supporting or major plot relevant characters from Final Fantasy VI. I, I love these kind of nods to the older games. I, I find them funny. And a summoner with a horn in their head. Like three. Yeah. Yeah, and a summoner who is underage, like Palamon Porum. Or Rydia. You just had to bring that up, didn't you? Yeah, and Rydia, but well, she grew you up. You can't say it wasn't in the minds of the creators when this was done. Hey, Max is back. Maybe Max has thoughts on Aiko. Sorry, what did you say? We're talking about Aiko right now. Do you have any concrete thoughts about the child genius raised by Moogles? I never liked her. Yay, you're my friend. (laughs) (laughs) But you like the Moogle, right? Yeah, of course. I think the only reason I... I think the only reason I would I usually had Aiko on my team was because, um, okay, she was really quite annoying at times, but she did have a, a very useful um, set of spells and abilities and whatnot. Um, if I remember, her, her summon collection was smaller than daggers, but she had greater access to white magic, although I can't quite remember right. I think, that's, I think it was something like that. Someone want to double-check that one? Tom, you've been yeah, playing it recently. She, she, had the, she had Holy, right? Or something like that? Like the biggest mm-hmm. uh, white magic spell or something? Yeah. Didn't, oh, her, trance let her, didn't her trance let her cast uh, white magic twice in a row, I think? Uh, yes, it did. Her, her trance ability was um, the ability to cast two white, white magic spells in a row. That could save your butt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> If you could get traps to work, but that's a that's a complaint for later. Uh, yeah, she wasn't allowed in my party, so I wouldn't really know. Well, I remember her being mildly useful during that that boss fight with the big giant in order for you to actually get into the Moogle village. 
but all I remember about that was the giant being kind of tough. So I, this led nowhere. I'm sorry. I, I have shamed all of us by going off on a tangent that was worthless. So let's just talk about Amaranth then. That about sums um, it up. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Amaranth is possibly the one character that I sort of used less than Queena. I think he was the he was the one he was the one character that didn't really add that much to Nine's plot. I feel and pretty much sums it up. I remember him being useful in battle. He had the ability to throw things, and that usually does good damage. But yeah, he yeah. said almost nothing, and what he did say was, I hate you guys. Why am I with you? Go away. I'm going to do this on my own. That pretty much sums it up. <laughs> yeah, in, in combat, he's a good throwback to some of the cooler characters, like uh, in the first one where you, you don't equip your guy with any weapon, and you know he ends up being a badass anyway. And uh, you know, for the ninja who can throw crap and and etc. And uh, Shadow from Six. Sort of a mixture of all those types of cool characters, in combat at least. Yeah, I think even Shadow had more lines than Amarant does. <laughs> yeah, Shadow was pretty cool. That, that's quite an impressive feat, considering how little Shadow spoke during the <laughs> 6. It's an even more impressive feat, considering how little Amarant speaks. Hmm. <laughs> No thoughts on Amarant, Max? No. I I barely remember him at all. So. I know he, he has lots of red hair. That's about it. <laughs> well, let's see. We sort of touched on Dagger's lovely adopted mother. I guess we can touch on her more now because it's time to move into villain territory. I don't want kill to touch it with, her. Kill it with fire. <laughs> kill it with fire. And then, funnily enough, they did kill it with fire. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like, I remember wow, very I... justifiable summons being used on her. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never actually got to face her in a straight-up fight. Um, but yeah, um, Kuja kind of really exploded her. <laughs> oh, well. Tragic loss. <laughs> Yes, I seem to remember her moving a lot more than anyone who is perfectly stationary should move, and that was disturbing. (laughs) Yeah, those gums could really fly. (laughs) Okay, so any more about the big Disney reject blob? She was mean. She (laughs) killed a lot of people. Then we blew her up, and that was good. Well, technically, it was kind of Guja was responsible for blowing her up. Um, yeah, and whatever. Ngane took it, takes it um, badly at first, and then I think ex- you know accepts it eventually. Okay, so let's see. What were the name of the twi- the names of the twin clowns that Kuja had did do his bidding repeatedly? Uh, Zorn and Thorn, the. Uh, Clown, the the, je- the queen, they were the queen's jesters originally, but they then when they were really working for Kuja. Um, I while their like pattern of speech probably got on your nerves before the end of the first disc. I personally feel they had an awesome music theme. Anybody else remember the clown duo or the jester duo? I'm sorry. Typical henchmen. 
But we really need to talk about Kuja. Is Kuja because Kuja was totally fabulous. Yes, many most villains, in fact, especially of the male variety, are not confident enough to wear what he does day in and day out. <laughs> I think there were many cases. I think there was many cases of people thinking that that was somehow that was a woman. I, I, I just, <laughs> I think they probably got a rather nasty surprise. And yeah, it flies around with Pokemon. With his, uh, it's the trap hentai already. <laughs> Especially Thanks with his instinct that habits. That needs disturbing. It's not just that he wears feminine clothing, but he acts feminine too. Okay, Scott, it's time for you to stop looking up Final Fantasy IX hentai on the internet. <laughs> what else is the internet for? Other kind <laughs> of hentai? <laughs> if you so, Max, so. <laughs> Max, what about this Kuja? Do you want to speak? Yeah, well, I don't know. Uh, I I didn't like him much. Uh, don't know why. Just... <laughs> I don't know. I. <laughs> well, let's I see. I was gonna say, well, Kuja was, um, uh, yeah, he was quite annoying. Um, he he played the villain role quite well. Um, he did do sort of like um, the kind of he played. You know, he, he was the traitorous advisor to the the, the queen. Um, he you know he played his backstab well, and he he is one of the few villains in um, the Final Fantasy series that has successfully blown a planet up. I mean, not even long-haired pretty boy Sephiroth managed it. If you think about it. Yeah, I was gonna say he's one of the more successful villains in the Final Fantasy series, other than uh, the guy from Six, who he emulates uncannily at several points. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, Kuja's more cal- calculating than Kefka. Kefka's just bounce off the wall mad. Kuja at least has a, a you know a functioning brain, if nothing else. Even if it's been warped by again another throwback to Blade Runner. Well, let's see here. We're forgetting Garland, who really shows up too late and doesn't have enough time to be as interesting as these lovely other villains, but. Uh, he had potential. Uh, and I, I never really saw Garland as much of a as much of a villain, really. I mean, okay, he was responsible for. He, okay, he was like sort of Kuja's um, uh, what taskmaster, sort of boss, uh, and he did do a. He obviously he worked over Alexandria pretty bad with the his um, airship and its big eyeball of death. Um, but when it actually came down to it. Um, you know, uh, Kuja eventually offs him at the end of um, disc three, um, and he, which is possibly the most blatant rip of Kefka that he does. Hmm. It 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 it's not it. He wasn't an anti-villain by any stretch, but I don't think he was kind of. I don't think he was a contender for uh, sort of serious villain position, really. Or am I the only one who thinks that? I don't really remember him. <laughs> I think he quoted Yoda. Yeah, I I remember at the time thinking, wait, who's this guy now? And then I fought him pretty soon after he was introduced, and Kuja threw him off a cliff, and wham, there he, he was gone already. 
So he needed more screen time to be effective at anything. Well, he, he served his function reasonably well as a plot delivery device, if nothing else, because he's the one who explains um, the, the terror's plan in, in quite sort of extensive detail to Zidane, and that's what causes Zidane to have his brief uh, mental breakdown at the end, towards the end of disc three. Um, so he was he he wasn't no he wasn't an effective devil, uh, villain, but he did do his his he he, he fil- fulfilled his role quite well. Plot delivery device. <laughs> Any other thoughts on Garland? No. Because if we stop talking about Garland, when we have to talk about the villain with the most screen time, most development, best motivations ever, I am, of course, talking about Necron. Mike, you owe me a new sarcasm detector. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't realize that I was pushing it up to, to and past the limit. Yeah, you did. <laughs> so, Necron... What do we think about this character with so much backstory? Uh, I didn't actually mind that much. I mean, um, okay, if, if he comes out of nowhere, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try and fluff that anyway. Otherwise, um, I mean, I'm sure the fans have their theories, but um, yeah, it, his, he was. He, it was a shame that they didn't at least give him something to work with. Uh, I mean, he has a good music theme, and he's a tough fight. Um, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, I remember his music theme being pretty cool, and I remember thinking, ah, oh, crud, he's throwing all these status elements at me, and I'm not really prepared to deal with most of them, which made it tougher than it could have been, but I did take him on the first try, so that must mean something. He didn't really have anything to do with the plot of the game, did he? He was just well, sort of like taking it, taking it advantage of what had happened. Well, yeah, would you do that if you had the power to suddenly come upon some heroes and say, I'm going to beat you up and conquer the world. You've never heard of me before, but that's fine. I'll still conquer the world. That's right. his <laughs> It makes sense. It's just uh, from the point of, you know, whoever's writing the game, you know, it would have been interesting if he had something to do with someone that you had encountered previously sort of like you know the end of final fantasy 4 like the uh Zeromus or whatever was um uh possessing zemus so you, you fight this thing you've never seen before but at least had something to do with it yeah even the cloud of darkness in final fantasy 3 had at least been mentioned a little while before right mm. i think i somehow feel um uh, some of the other things I could say. Um, Necron had that thing where he also quotes, um, yeah, he quotes Yoda from Star Wars just before you fight him. Um, he's got, um, he has a couple of um, thematic similarities with, um, I think it's X Death from Final Fantasy V, although I haven't played it myself. Um, I just feel that if they kept his he, his Japanese name translated as Darkness of Eternity. Um, and I feel as if they kept that, it may have sort of blunted his, um, as Scott says, uh, his giant space flea from nowhere, as presenting him as some kind of, um, like, metaphysical 
you know, existence nullifying force rather than a character in his own right. Um, so basically, Kuja almost succeeds in his plan to shatter the crystal that grants the universe life, and this guy shows up to effectively steal it from you. Um, but it, yeah, I think something could have been handled better there, personally. Like, introduce, as I say, introducing him earlier in the story, or give, just giving him a greater role in the plot, period. Any thoughts on Necron, Max? Well, uh, when I first saw him, I, I thought like I thought it was pretty much useless in the story, like like you all said. Uh, I don't know. I think it was it was just maybe they they were needing one more battle, like to have the what was it three? Was it the third bat um, end boss or something? It was three, but I when I played it, somehow I beat the dragon thing that Kuja summons, and then I mm-hmm. walked away from it and was able to save somewhere. So that yeah. if you go and ha- if you go and save after the dragon, then you only have two fights. Yeah, it is possible okay. to walk away after you after you fight um, death death guys, death gaze, something like that. You could it is yeah, possible to backtrack was... slightly off his platform. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, Kuja's I was just standing it... there mumbling, "You beat it." How did you do that? <laughs> I really feel like uh, Necron is like like much of the game uh, has throwbacks to earlier entries. Like uh, Necron is what's whatever his name is is actually a, a throwback to Zeromus because um I think Zeromus says he will always exist as long as there is hatred in the hearts of people, and Necron says he will always exist as long as life exists. So maybe that's why they threw him in. Yeah, but still, yeah, it, you you never hear about him before, never. That's Tom, I think you have come up with a topic that you can turn into an excellent term paper somewhere. <laughs> maybe, yeah, I should I should do a research paper. I really should. <laughs> Well, let's see. Before I forget, let's talk about uh, the latest incarnation of Sid, who happens to be a frog for most of the game. Oglob. Oh, yeah. Oblog, that was it. Rhymes with frog. There we go. Uh, he spent, I, I believe he spends some of his time as an oglob. Then they try and cure him, and he turns into a frog. Um, this is... Um, I knew he was uh, a frog. There we go. Yeah, it was his, his, his punishment for... Um, was, I think was it was yeah, and I thought he was spending too much time with his airship designs and not enough time with his wife. But yeah, you could be right there. I don't remember. I know his wife turned him into an Alvag. <laughs> well, um, on Wikipedia, they're talking about a little affair. Ah, so. I was right. A little affair? or Well, that could be meant in several ways. <laughs> they say, when Hilda found out about my little affair, she used her magic and turned me into an Oglob. Ah, one of those. So, I, I <laughs> you don't see, quite remember. You see, we women and the French, we remember the affairs of the heart. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. Are there any other NPCs we should mention? Hmm. Kind of skipped over Beatrix. Oh, yeah, we well, kind of did. So let's, uh, Becky, sing us an ode to Beatrix. 
Beatrix was awesome because she had a pirate patch and she could um, kill pretty much anything. And yeah, she was great. Okay, if I remember right, you fought her three times and Mm -hmm. she pounded you into the floor every time. Yep. Okay, I am remembering that right. <laughs> yeah, uh, what she does every time you fight her, um, regard you if you knock her HP down far enough, um, she just uses an attack that knocks everyone in present in the battle down to one HP, and then you know the story it storyline cutscenes take over. It's how um, disc, the disc one ends in uh, Bermesia when you visit there. Um, she knocks knocks you all down to one HP. The battle ends, and it's shown your party members are. Uh, you know, sort of panting for breath on the floor and whatnot, and it's it's pretty evident that she's just kind of schooled your ass pretty hard, um, which is a shame, really, because I'm pretty sure I had a pretty large supply of health items that could have got me back on my feet there. But hey, <laughs> Tom, you've been playing it recently. Can you speak to the power of Beatrix? Um, she is pretty cool. She has that problem of being of blind faith, but she gets over it. Uh, eventually, and she joins your party, which is fun. You, I always like when they do that in the Final Fantasy games. Uh, would they do it with General Leo in Six? Yes, doesn't guest join star your party members. Yeah, like I, I love. I, I think that's sorely lacking in the recent Final Fantasy games. Um, mm-hmm. But when she joins your party, it, it? did it? I don't think. Yeah, so. I think Twelve had a, had the occasional yeah. guest that joined your party, like Marcel. Like, well, Fortunately, cool. when Beatrix joins your party, she is not promptly killed by Kuja. That would have been embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that little sequence, actually, in which, uh, when Beatrix joins you, um, probably one of the better ones in the game, actually, and it is, is preceded with another one of Nine's awesome music themes. Uh, okay, the, the two of them are not necessarily successful. Um, uh, Garland, you know, puts paid to that. But that just that one little sequence with her and Steiner fighting off uh, waves of monsters invading, invading the city. Uh, particularly good set piece in Nine. Probably one of my favorite events. I think I, have, I think I keep a save file for that particular section so I can go and play it at my leisure. Were it's a little a weird. There's you had to fight in that sequence? A lot of work. Caterpillars. Yeah, they were sort of demonic caterpillar things born from that mist stuff. Okay. I interrupted you, Tom. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, it's a little weird how she's totally fine with just destroying the entire town of uh, Clara, which has those nice, you know, um, Freya-type people. And then once uh, Dyarnit's in, in danger, she's like, oh, wait, maybe that really was wrong. I don't know. I think right before you wipe out, you know, hundreds if not thousands of people, you maybe think about that first. <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, consciences just sprout at random, it would seem. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's pretty much an, that's pretty much an RPG staple, isn't it? The, you know, the, 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 the people who are currently working for the enemy who suddenly have these pangs of conscience at very convenient moments that allows them to put their sort of weapon of choice precisely where the villains don't want it. it happens a lot. Okay, yeah. does that cover everybody? Oh, and Max, have you gotten any good pictures of Beatrix into fan art? 
I no, I never received any. Maybe there are some though. But maybe if we say so on this backtrack, you'll get some. Maybe I don't have any. Well, I have a few submissions for uh, this week, but not much. So, yeah, do we need some submissions? Before someone uh, calls us on not uh, mentioning him, uh, it should be noted: Final Fantasy IX does have an incarnation of um, uh, Gilgamesh present. Oh yes, and I had not played Final Fantasy V at the time, so I didn't know who this guy was, and apparently you only learn his name if you're so incredibly awesome at uh, something that... Treasure treasure hunting. You had to open a lot of treasure chests to earn... He's a treasure hunter. You had to open, like, almost every treasure chest to, to earn his respect, and he would tell you his name. I think um, Square Enix just kind of likes trying to imply that the Gilgamesh from Final Fantasy V and the one in Final Fantasy IX and the one in Final Fantasy XII are all the same character who just keeps on waltzing. Oh, and the one in Final Fantasy VIII as well. Just wal- the same character just waltzing casually between the, the sort of various dimensions that the Final Fantasy games take place in. Oh, yes, I remember... I was trying to open a few treasure chests I had missed, only to learn that on the fourth disc, many, many areas earlier in the game are closed off because of mist, or that's the convenient excuse, but it kind of ticked me off because I wanted to go back to a few places, and I couldn't. No, yeah, I remember that, yeah. That was annoying. Um, it, wasn't the, it wasn't the mist per se, it was the, the roots of the, you know, the massive tree dungeon that you go into during disc Two, um, when you return from um, Terror in Disc Four, um, the the mist producing tree has gone into overdrive, and its roots have spread throughout the entire world, just conveniently appearing in front of the entrances to several um, places that you can't re-enter. I think um, Final Fantasy IX was still a little bit more uh, liberal with where you could enter. Um, compared to Disc 4 of Final Fantasy 8, which closed off practically everything. I don't remember trying to go into too many places at the end of Final Fantasy 8, but... Uh, yeah, I seem to recall that you're right about that. So, what did y'all, what did y'all think about... Oh, let's talk about the trance system, since we hinted at it briefly, and now we get to go back. Yeah, I was about to say. Go ahead. Well, I can take it if, if no one else wants it, but I kind of thought that would bring people champing at the bit to go and talk about trance. It's kind of yeah, lame. Peggy. <laughs> talk about trance. So lame well, covers it, Tom. And so basically when they got when they got hit or hit enough when their little bar filled up, they went into a trance mode. Basically Power Ranger mode. <laughs> right? Go go Power Rangers. And well, I, I thought Sedane he was going Super Saiyan, not Mighty Morphin. Yeah, he's going super something, but I, you know, and I think, you know, I, I always found it a little bit frustrating because it, it would it activate whether you want it to or not. So if it happened, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong because it's been a few years, but if it happened on a random encounter, you just have me filled up, bam, it kicks in, makes that one random encounter easier. But random encounters are pretty easy. I want to say that stuff for the big boss. Yes, it did. Just... Any time the, the meter filled. <laughs> I would so. just um, fill the meter like to three quarters of the way, and when I saw there was going to be a boss battle soon, if I could predict that it was going to happen soon, I would, I would just fill up the meter for a bit and then have a trance or two during the boss battles. Right. 
So that's that's what you tried to do. I just felt that was a bit, you know, contrived. It would have been a little nice if, like, Final Fantasy, you know, seven, you use it when you use it. Of course, with Final Fantasy seven, I think you couldn't use magic while you were. No, you couldn't it. use the regular attack option. Regular attack, okay, that's what it was. But it was still, yeah, at least you could save it without too much hassle, I suppose. Yeah, but yeah, in this one, yeah, you had to <laughs> suck it up and deal with it. Or get creative. <laughs> we should so, mention I mean, do- that this is the game, uh, I think it's the only one uh, ever since Final Fantasy VI where you actually have four people at a time. Hmm. Oh, uh, except true. for those... Except for those times in Final Fantasy XII where you have a guest party member who gets kind of tagged onto the end of your group of three. Do you control the guest party member? No. Okay. So that, so that's a, that's an asterisk. That's what we call... You get slapped into the almanac with an asterisk because we have to explain why you qualify. <laughs> I mean, what did y'all... Did, we are, did I miss the conversation about the battle system? No, we haven't had it yet. So let's talk about the battle system. So... What did y'all think? We got a traditional. I mean, you got a traditional, traditional turn-based. I think it was action, real time though, right? It was. I mean, it had the action bar dealy going on. Yeah, yeah. So it you was had the same battle system as uh, Final Fantasies four through eight, pretty much. Yeah, yep. I mean, the big, the big kicker here was that how you use the weapons to learn new skills, right? By using them a lot, if I'm not mistaken. Right, right. You equip uh, the weapons by wearing them. Yeah, every oh, okay. every. Yeah, take it, Max. It, it, it was just by wearing them, right? We just wear the equipment, and no. You'd wear the yeah. equipment, yeah. use it. You know, basically the you know as you used it in bat, or not as you used it, but as you gain experience points. If I'm not mistaken, the weapon you also got like weapon experience points, and when you filled yeah. up so many experience points, your character would learn that skill. It's yeah, when weapons, you... it's weapons and armor. You got AP at the end of battle, and every weapon and piece of armor and accessory had a skill associated with it. And once you got enough AP, you'd learn that skill, and you you would equip. You, there were abilities. You would equip the abilities uh, in your little in your menu screen. You can only equip so many. Is there some sort choose. of? I liked it. Hmm. Was there some sort of orb slotting system, or was that ten? Am I getting them mixed up? Yeah, I think that was ten. Okay, yeah, no mind then. You, you, you each character has, sorry, yeah. each um, character has a, a kind of pool of um, uh, sort of ability points um, that y- uh, you kind of had to use up when you equipped uh, an ability inside the ability menu. Um, so, for example, things like um, auto regen or the ability to counter attack and whatnot would take up a certain quantity of these points, uh, and so you could only equip us. And the, the I see if I seem to remember these points. Um, per character grew pretty slowly um, so to equip um, some of the more expensive abilities available you did actually have to you know sort of put quite a lot of effort into leveling the characters to make sure you wanted to fit all of the um, sort of abilities you wanted on them especially true for when fighting the um, final boss who throws status effects at you like mad yes and as I mentioned I had uh, tried to adjust my team for maximum offense instead of protecting against status out effects which uh, kind of screwed me over for part of that <laughs> you could you could kind of switch which skills you had equipped uh, you know in between battles oh, yeah. right but not yeah. in battle not in battle no <laughs> no um, so at first Phil, I found that Bill you missed our great discussion of Necron the greatest <laughs> most motivated villain ever 
neat crew. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> I, at first I found that system of growth to be a little tad too traditional for my taste, but I kind of got over it. And 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 yeah, the battles. I mean, relatively, you know, relative to more modern RPGs, um, kind of felt a little little slow to me. But once I got in, you know, got got into the story and stuff, kind of carried me through. They aren't. It wasn't a really bad battle system. It, it's just like they said, it's very, very traditional. So if you like the traditional JRPG battle setup, you know, like the Dragon Quest stuff, uh, you're going to, you know, pretty much like this. Did, did anybody have a big problem finding a lot of that cook skills? I know you had to eat stuff, but I can never figure out... I, I, I never really got a lot of skills for, for Quinn, whatever her name was. That was just plain annoying. Because you yeah. had to you had to, uh, weaken enemies to a certain point, and then... She, it would eat them, but then sometimes it would just say, "I know can't eat," and then you're yeah. like, "Okay." So then it just got to the point where I was like, <laughs> "Okay, I don't feel like collecting these anymore." Yeah, yeah, precisely. So, um, so aside from a little couple things like that, all right. What about did we? Did I miss the discussion on the card game? Did we talk about the card game? No. Nope. I I don't know why, but I got into the card game because I like to figure things out, and I'm a big numbers person, and, and whatever, having card games, I just love anything having to relate with card games, no matter how bad it is. So was this, was this I forget what it's called. Uh, what's it Dungeon called? Dungeon Master. Yeah, thank you. Was this really just a bad card game that I just like because I really love card games, or was it a halfway decent card game? No, I, I enjoyed it? it. I liked it, too. What'd you yeah, say, I didn't think it's a card game and a Final Fantasy game. It can't be that good. <laughs> <laughs> it was. What? It was evidently. Um, it was evidently popular enough to the people who played Final Fantasy IX that they included it as a um, as a kind of addition to. Um, it wasn't directly built into Final Fantasy XI. It was one of these kind of side things. I seem to remember a kind of multiplayer um, version of Tetramaster. Um, I only remember playing that particular version of it when I first started playing Eleven back in two thousand and four, but yeah, I think it was popular enough that they, you know, they dev- they dev- devoted development time into building another version of it so people could actually play multiplayer versions of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're right. I remember seeing that too, and and. Yeah, if I, if I was interested in MMOs, I might have just done it just for the card. Yeah, I remember seeing like it was like you said, it was like a separate thing, I think, or it was like in the game Final Fantasy Eleven or something you did on the side. It was it like was that. um if uh, Final Fantasy Eleven had that um very unwieldy um front end, uh the play online front end, um mm-hmm. Tetramaster was accessible through that as a as a sort of separate program. Um I think it had a subs- I think it ha- did have a subscription fee, but it was like Something like one dollar a month or something. If you had a Final Fantasy XI account, I can't remember the specifics. It was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Phil, did you ever figure it out though? Because that was part, that was part of it. They didn't tell you what the number you collected cards throughout the game, and uh, you'd find them. You get them at the end of a battle, or you'd find them in a treasure chest. But you didn't know exactly how to play. So, were you able to figure it out? Yeah, you didn't know exactly how to play, and I think I. And I didn't even look up a fact, really. I really just kept playing till I kind of got an idea of what was making me the most wins. So I don't think I could – and, of course, it's been years, so I, I don't remember anything now. But I remember getting to the point where I was winning a lot, uh, and I kind of had a nubious or cloudy 
uh, fuzzy logic, if it were, uh, you know, rule set in my mind of, of what I thought the rules were, and it was enough to get me through. So I must have hit on something pretty good because I was really enjoying it. If I keep losing a game, as most people know, um, if I keep losing a game, I get frustrated pretty quickly. It, it actually doesn't take that many times. So, uh, yeah, this one, I must have been able to figure it out because otherwise I would have just quit in frustration and moved on. Yeah, I remember it just con- – I, I liked it. I, I liked collecting the cards, but it confounded me how sometimes – a card would win a battle, and then another time it would just—I thought it would—it should have won because its numbers were higher, and then it would lose. So then I read about it, and it turns out that it doesn't even if the strongest card, the weakest card, can beat the strongest card because of the way it works. It it summons a number, and then it summons another number below that, and it subtracts that number, and it actually has nothing to do with the attacking card. Each card sort of generates its own individual stats, so there is a bit of randomness to it. Hmm. So pretty interesting, if nothing else. But yeah, probably not something I I'd want to play as a full time game, or even probably pay a dollar a month for. I just thought it was kind of neat that it was kind of uh, included in there. And 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 it, to me, just because I like, I really do like collectible card games and whatnot. I found it a, little, a, a bit more fascinating than say the mini games in Final Fantasy VII or something. So not that that's really saying much, is it? Um, <laughs> I preferred the Chocobo treasure, Chocobo Hot and Cold, but I think that's just because I liked the music. So, yeah, talk about Chocobo Hot and Cold. Quee! 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 I like Chocobo. <laughs> Tell us I about that the, I remember the Chocobo theme in this game was sort of a, a Latin guitar sort of thing, which sounded really awesome. It was yes. hippie-ish. Hippie-ish? <laughs> It's like like uh, Tiny Tim or something. Just playing on a little ukulele. ukulele. And tiptoe tulips with me. Is that the Tiny Tim you're thinking of? Yep. Okay. Good. <laughs> Thank you. The, tiny the beginning Mike. of it. <laughs> well, I'm not doing the whole song because I don't want to scare all the audience away. And that would probably do it. <laughs> <laughs> So well, Chocobo see, Hot and Cold was hot and cold, and you had a Chocobo, and depending on how much it squeaked, you know, how much it shrieked, you knew you were close to the treasure, and then you would find the treasure, and you had to do it as fast as you could. And I got addicted to it. I'm not sure why. Probably the music. Hmm. So, well, think, here's a part that we that I forgot to address earlier. Who beat up Hades? Oh yeah, I beat up Hades. Fun Sarah, battle, actually. Remember that one, yeah. Yeah, Hades was one of the. Um, uh, it was the uh, hidden boss. Um, he in memoria, showed, right? Yeah, he shows up. He shows up in the game's final dungeon, um, hidden very carefully in the um, room that depicts the world's um, sort of oceany beginnings. He's sort of hidden behind a rock. I can't remember the exact. Um, if they're like in it, there's an exact set of conditions needed to get him to appear. Um, but if you defeated him, he, he was pretty difficult. Um, but you could, you know, you could plan for it. Um, he opened up his um, synthesis shop, and he would um, that would then give you access to some of the game's sort of better equipment, as it were. Plus, his um, boss theme is the uh, only other time you hear the um, theme used for the Festival of the Hunt much earlier in the game, which is pretty damn good. 
Oh, I forgot about that. I just remember, yeah, he was a tough fight, but he gave me some very worthwhile things if I beat him. But well, that brings to mind Ozma, who I never saw. Ah, sorry, the Max. giant marble. <laughs> I'm sorry, Max, we cut you off. Yeah, I was wondering, is it really worthwhile if it's one of the of the hardest enemies in the game to have, like, super powerful weapons? Well, Hades was tough, but he was not, um, he was not, he was not Ozma, basically. He was easy, and he's easier than the final boss. Well, okay then, what was the the biggest one that was, like, almost impossible to beat? Ozma, the giant. Ah, okay, okay. Ozma, the giant marble. I didn't feel like putting that much time in, but, um, apparently... Yes, Ozma is only if you feel like, you know, I this is too easy. I need to get my butt pounded into the ground repeatedly by an optional boss that looks like a marble and is named after an Oz character. I don't know why Ozma is named for the fairy princess of Oz, but fine. Hmm. Yeah, because he had um, there he, he there were numerous things you needed to do to get him to you know you you in order to actually find him, you had to um progress far enough in the uh, Chocobo Hot and Cold minigame, which we mentioned. Um, so, until your um, Chocobo learns the ability to find um, Chocobo's air garden, which is where he appears. Uh, and even if you then went and fought him, um, he um, sort of... I think he absorbs one of the um, game's elements. I think it's Shadow. Uh, and he also uh, originally appears out of reach of any melee, any melee characters. You can't hit him with any character that uses, you know, melee attacks, um, unless you complete another side quest where you have to go and encounter. Um, I think it's eight um, friendly monster variations found throughout the world, and then give them the item that they want similar to how the uh, magic pots work in 7. And if you do all of that, um, Ozma would be in range of your melee characters, he wouldn't absorb Shadow, and then he would kick your ass anyway, because he's nasty. <laughs> nice. He, he just... Ah. <laughs> so yes, Max, this appears to be the, the opponent you were describing. Yeah, maybe... <laughs> I never tried him. Hmm. Well, we haven't really talked about the aesthetics much. We've talked about certain pieces of music, but not the score as a whole, which is full of intentional throwbacks to earlier Final Fantasies, which is cool. So, everybody so, else, talk about the music. This this was the um, this was the from what I understand the last exclusive Final Fantasy score by. Nobu Umbrella or whatever his name is. It, oh, I, I don't know. It starts with a U. It must be Umbrella. I just Nabu Umbrella. We gotta do a Western game just so you can have half a chance of pronouncing things. I, I'm telling you, his name's Nabu Umbrella. He just doesn't know it yet. He, he needs to correct his spelling on this on this web page they have. Uh, Phil, I'm gonna predict you're gonna get hate mail from someone for that. No. Pish posh. He's 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 a musician. He doesn't care. He's making a lot more money than I ever will. Just so don't open any email attachments for a while. 
Um, I mean, I really like the music in this one. It's one of the, the well, probably one of the most standout scores that I can remember. Anyways, um, I really, really liked it, and I play the music often. What about y'all? Did y'all like it? Um, I think in in having played Final Fantasy IX, uh, when I first went to um, Japan on holiday, I made looking for. Um, I think this was before I'd kind of discovered that I could just buy this stuff on the internet. Um, I made tracking down, a, you know, a disc, a full disc copy of Final Fantasy IX soundtrack, a sort of priority of mine, and I did manage to find it for a pretty decent price. And I, I, I do listen to it quite a lot. I really do love it. After I played the game, I I made it a point to acquire the music, and I still listen to it from time to time because it's darn good. And frankly, I'm gonna say, go out on a limb and say. It's better than the Final Fantasy VII and VIII soundtracks, and somebody's probably going to get after me for that, but that's what no, I said. No, I agree with you, Mike. I stand with you on that one. Yes, we are. We will form an army against the veritable hordes that will come against us for this stance. <laughs> <laughs> and we will remember that few stood against many, and that if you do not grant us strength, Crom, then to hell with you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if, Max, if such a th- what about the what do you think about the music? I liked it. Um, I didn't listen to it very much outside of the game, but I I, I thought it worked very well um, with the story with um, with the story, the setting, and and the aesthetic of like the visual aesthetic of the game. But outside of outside of it, I don't know it was good mainly the the main uh, the the title uh, music i liked it very much yeah it's one of it's definitely I, I don't like to spend money on soundtracks but it's definitely one of the few games i would plunker down a, a few bucks to definitely uh to pick up now we, we gotta have to to wrap this up here guys are there any other standout elements a Final Fantasy IX that that we haven't covered that just really jumped to the front of your mind when when we throw that name out. The visuals. A, dis- a distinct lack of zippers and buckles. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought I thought it had a. I loved the um, epilogue sort of um, everybody's story sort of coming to a nice satisfying conclusion at the end of the game. I wish that happened more often in Final Fantasies. I agree with that, Becky. Absolutely. The way it tied up the story, um, I don't think I felt that moved. Uh, Final Fantasy VI is still my biggest one for me, but Final Fantasy IX came pretty darn close. It really felt like it came to closure, and it, it, it was moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and Mike mentioned the, the visuals. Absolutely gorgeous game from, from top to bottom. I mean, definitely the, the, the standout title on the, fin- on, on the PlayStation 1, in my opinion. And you can jump rope, so you can't do that oh, in God. Final Fantasy. Oh, my friends oh, spent hours God. doing that. Was <laughs> yeah. oh, that like dodging the lightning bolt in Final Fantasy X? Did you get something if you did it 10,000 times or something? Not something mm-hmm. as valuable as you did get in Final Fantasy X for doing yeah. that lightning dodging crap. No, no Ultima weapon? You just no. got cards and a title, which was useless, I think. Yay! Master Jump <laughs> Roper and Tetra cards for the win. Alrighty. Well, um, according to um, our good friends on the internet, uh, Final Fantasy IX is actually the highest rating game on uh, 
highest rating Final Fantasy game on Metacritic when they were still um, parsing in uh, PlayStation 1 games with their scores. If you do a search now, you just kind of get the uh, PlayStation 2 and above. But um, uh, receiving a 94% on Meta and a 93% on game rankings. So definitely... I, I can definitely recall a- something to do with this. Uh, EGM gave it two 9.5s and a 10 at the time. Mm. Oof. Final Fantasy VIII incidentally got four 9.5s. Ouch. Oh, well, that's just... That- Unacceptable. That's um, unacceptable from such a paragon of uh, the genre. <laughs> <laughs> so critic critics generally gave this one 9.5s, 9.75s, uh, you know, and even a couple of tens. But here on the RPG backtrack, we don't use number rating systems. No, we use the now famous toilet rating system. So, Mike, uh, this is time for our go-around here. I need you to give this an official um, RPG backtrack review and, and, and why people should go out and buy it. Oh, jeez. You're going to make me do it in the toilet rating system, even though Sam, the originator of that system, is not here. Well, she can't be with on. us. She can't be with us in body, but she's here with us in spirit. And when she's <laughs> listening to this podcast, co creditor, uh, co author uh, credit for the toilet system. <laughs> okay, Scott, that, that does make sense. Well, then, then maybe it's okay. only fair that Scott goes first since he's a co creator of the system. <laughs> Scott, we need a good official toilet rating and, and give us a 30 to 60 second reasoning supporting your rating. All right, I have not played this game all the way through. Uh, I'm just going to throw that out there. It's just the disclaimer. You're going to throw I, it out there in the toilet? Yeah, it's it's in the toilet. It, consider it the, it's written on the paper, which is now sitting above, um, I'm going to say one floater. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, what do you think? Well, on the strictly on the toilet rating system, I'm going to have to give it... You leave it there, and the bathroom just smells fresh without any sprays being added to the air. That's how good it is. You can leave it there, and nobody's going to mind. Beyond that, uh, I played this one long before I played either of the other PS1 Final Fantasies, and I still say this one holds up better. Hmm. Tom? I would give it a nine. (laughs) (laughs) So you're just going to dodge the entire rating system, Tom. I'm very Wait, disappointed. I, I don't... What is this? Toilet? I, <laughs> don't, don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> it's okay, Tom. <laughs> okay, a 9.25. <laughs> Ooh, nice. Max, what is, what's, your, what's your input? Uh, I'd say it would be the, the toilet seat. You feel quite comfortable on it. Mm-hmm. It's not bad. W- what, what, what do you like most about the game? Uh, I don't know. I I think I I like the story and just it's it's been a long time since I played it. I I only played it once when it came out, so I don't remember. <laughs> but I I remember I, I enjoyed it at least. <laughs> and uh, and Mr. Calendar. Um, well, going with, seems seems though like we are being forced to use the toilet system. Final Fantasy IX is kind of like the the it's the it's the glistening throne that you'd be proud to take a shit on, you know. <laughs> and for for bonus points, the bathroom is playing track six or track nine from disc four of the of the OST. Ooh, nice, 
Good. That's bonus points, Mr. Calendar. <laughs> Becky. I don't do scatological humor because I'm a poopy head. Um, so I just I would just say um, Final Fantasy IX and Final Fantasy XII are my two favorites. And I found that a lot of people have those two together if they like those two high on the list. So I consider those to be people of good taste. Mm-hmm. Well, I personally give this one the golden Japanese toilet. Okay, and if y'all have seen Japanese toilets and whatnot, they are way above our toilets. They have heat controls. They shower you from underneath. They, you just got, after you use a Japanese toilet, you feel so much better than when you first walked into the bathroom. It's just that good. That it is just, just it doesn't get any better than a modern Japanese toilet. And that's what Final Fantasy IX is. After playing every Final Fantasy, you know, up to it. Especially on the PlayStation 1. I will tell you, this, this game is absolutely the bomb. Now, you can get this for on the PlayStation Network. I think it's like 10 or 15 bucks, And you can play that on your PlayStation 3 or uh, download it to your PSP. Uh, alternatively, if you're still using the PS2, you can always grab it used uh, for about the same price off of Half.com or eBay. So if you haven't played this golden gem of a game, it's absolutely one of the most highly recommended games from the critics for a reason. Go out and buy it today. And while you're running out and doing that, we're going to get ready for our import corner. We'll be right back. Yeah, this time we're talking about Napple Tale, which came out around the same time as Final Fantasy IX, if not on the same system. And I'll I'll go through this one pretty fast because it's been a little while since I played it. it it's an action RPG based on Alice in Wonderland. Somehow that got left in Japan. I don't know how that happened because when you think of things that stay in Japan, Alice in Wonderland sure is not one of them. <laughs> and there's a boss. There's a big caterpillar boss. Uh, since it's a boss and it's constantly running around, I couldn't tell if it was smoking anything. There's a rabbit with a timepiece. There's a woman named Alice in there. There are a bunch of heart suit cards that you get to fight. The It's pretty obvious where the inspiration is drawn, although figuring out exactly what's going on can be a pain because, well, maybe it's easier if you've actually read the book, which I haven't, and that's my fault. I need to read more Lewis Carroll sometime. Uh, the actual play of the game is... It's that 2.5D stuff, remember Pandemonium or things like that, where you're mostly moving along in a side-scrolling fashion, but with some leeway to move around in the background and whatnot, and you just whack things. And, yeah, that's the major stuff you do, except for talk to people, because in action RPG land, this is one of the most talky games I've ever found, where you'll have to go yak to people for a long, long time before you can finally get anywhere. Um... Yeah, and the major, the other major original thing in it is Paffitz. Paffitz 
are sort of familiars that you form by finding items around the environments, and then you have to go into a little machine in town that allows you to scan each item 360 degrees and grab stuff off of it, which you can use to make a paffet, and the paffets have a variety of functions. Mostly they're just handy to have out in the field. They'll help you jump up higher or take a hit for you, that sort of stuff. It's pretty easy for the most part once you can finally get where you're going. There are a couple bosses that put up a big fight, but not too many. And the music is awesome. Yoko Kano does a lot of anime soundtracks, and there are no synthesizers whatsoever in this. Everything is from a live orchestra, and there's a variety of styles here. There's one Spanish-feeling boss number. There's a brass band at one point. There are lots of strings. It's just an awesome score. There are even some weird vocal numbers that... Well, there's this there's one with a guy singing in a low tone that's kind of disturbing. Uh, I wouldn't call it a great game, but if you like action RPGs and you have a Dreamcast, then this would probably be worth picking up. And again, you'll have to wonder, why did this not come over? How is Alice in Wonderland so Japanese that it stays in Japan? <laughs> it's one so, of yeah, those that's... mysteries for the ages. Hmm? Yes. Lewis Carroll, did he translate so well into Japanese that he never came back? I don't get it. But yeah, playing it, you can say, oh my, yes, parts of this definitely were made under the influence of opium. Uh, oh, and it's, it's rather pretty, too, although not quite as pretty as Skies of Arcadia. So, yeah, good for the system, not great. And that's all I have to say about it. Napletail, unless somebody else has uh, another question. What's a napple? That's a good question. <laughs> That's an excellent question, and it's one that the game will not answer. Oh, jeez. Okay, so it's just a weird title. Napple. It's like, yeah, it's got if I had to guess... Apples. If I had to guess, it's one of those English things. Well, the the logo has a leaf above the P, like it like it's an apple. But is there something with an apple in the game? I remember apples showing up a couple times, but they don't play a major role. Hmm. Huh. It's a mystery. Yes, there are many mysteries about this game. <laughs> I outlined many, a few of them already. There are many mysteries in Napple Land. Holy <laughs> beans. Yeah. Well, while everyone's out looking for some apples to eat, we're going to take a slight break. We'll be right back for our final lap.
understand that we actually have a winner to the uh, Night and a Nightmare contest that uh, Sam Doohickey popped out there last week. Is that right, Scott? Yes, someone did in fact submit an essay. I don't have an exact word count, but I think it's fewer than 50. So well with it. <laughs> they came underneath the 50, 50 word guideline, huh? Yeah, well, well within the 200 word limit, I said. Ah, 200, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. So, did it help? But the important thing is, did it actually help you win the game? Um, no, but it's incredibly humorous, so that wins as many points as, act, as being helpful in my world. Yes, please, uh, enlighten us. What is the secret to playing Knights in the Nightmare? So, yeah, I mean, according... 50 words or less, yeah, you can read that one. Go ahead. <laughs> so, according to MJA Fix on the forums, um... To win at Nights in the Nightmare, you go through the tutorial about five times. Play Ikaruga for a few hours to improve your bullet hell reflexes. Then go read a few facts to understand what all the numbers mean. Flick the stylus a lot. If you happen to not play the game for a while and forget how to work, repeat the process. I have a better solution. That Just works. Don't play it. Well, I haven't um, been. I was going to say, uh, believe in the heart of your hitbox. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you have to believe in your friends. Or is that Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep? Kingdom Hearts. Okay, mm. never mind then. So long as no one wants me to believe in the heart of the cards. <laughs> so, so what is, what is this, what is the grand prize again that that person won? Uh, a copy of Riviera for the PSP. You know, I'm playing that right now. I hate it. But thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> for the record, if you are listening, it's going in the mail tomorrow. Yeah, so there. Um, tomorrow anyways, as of Monday the 20th. Yeah. Yeah, which by the time the podcast gets up there and I get to editing and stuff, you probably already have it. So there you go. Um, well, are you shipping it in Canada, Scott? Yeah, it's uh, um, MGA is from Quebec, so that'll only be like four nice, business yes. states tops. There you go. Um, we have a couple of comments on the boards this week. Uh, Silktail wrote a bit about Sonic Chronicles. Uh, who got that? Tom got that? Scott got that? I uh, bought it. I, I bought it Saturday. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, Silktail says that the problem with Babylon was that it was like elite beat agents, but without the pacing due to gaps of doing nothing. Um, there was one thing I felt it had in common: Chrono Trigger, trigger, and that was the dual text. Uh, and to the fault of Chrono Trigger with this as well, the problem with these is that it takes two characters' turn, but it's rarely good as two single texts. Huh? Well, that, that's kind of an interesting thought. Did y'all find that either with Sonic Chronicles or uh, Chrono Trigger that? You know, what those texts where they take up multiple characters' turns, that was worth uh, saving up those extra turns? In Chrono Trigger, it totally was, but uh, I don't, uh, Sonic Chronicles, all I remember about the combat system was that it required a great deal of perfection for you to actually make the world, world moves worthwhile, and that perfection required a lot of angry jabbing at the touch screen, and I really thought it was a bad game. <laughs> I'm with you on that, Becky. In Sonic Chronicles, it's less of a big deal because a turn is actually like three turns, depending on your character's speed. So, yeah, if you pick a tag team attack, 
it will take up multiple characters' first turn of sort of a volley of three. Hmm. Also, one of them is called Fastball Special, which is awesome. Well, and um, Gadaka Tuck um, on the boards also <laughs> says, uh, Phil Glenn and the crew, I must say I'm highly entertained by this podcast. At first, I was reluctant after the show had changed hands, listening from the first uh, to last a few months back. But now I can't get enough of this. You guys do a great job. I'm always extremely interested in what you guys are saying and the games you explore. Experiencing these games vicariously through this podcast is awesome. Long days at work and long drives stand no chance now because I'm entertained. You know, this is a really great letter. It, it's almost enough to inspire me just to want to send him special for writing something so nice. And I would have, except he forgot the most important part of the Im- newly improved RPG backtrack. He forgot to mention our outstanding toilet rating system. So, no prize for him. <laughs> but we thank you for the comment anyways. God talk to talk. That must be like Klingon or something. Good dog. <laughs> talk. Yeah, okay. I, I think it's Klingon. Good <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, you know, Mike, if you've got a contest question, I've got this whole pile of DS and PSP games um, that I am getting rid of. So okay. some lucky winner will win a game that I have rejected. Okay. Do you have one that you want that you're keeping in mind, or will you let the winner decide? I will let the winner choose from this deep catalog of games that's, that won't sell for $5 on Half.com. <laughs> so you go ahead. <laughs> All right. This, this one, again, requires a little bit of writing. Tell me one thing from each of the eight previous Final Fantasy games that is referenced in Final Fantasy IX. And, 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 and let me put out there, Mike, so we actually try to get a winner this time. Mm-hmm. If, if, if it's going to be uh, – I want to make this kind of an open-ended contest that whoever gets the most right within a week will, will win this. So if you only got one answer there, um, you might win. You might win a really crummy game. <laughs> well, some of these games aren't so crummy. I just don't like them. Yeah, and I'm not looking for a gigantic essay where you explain to me the meaning of everything that you're talking about. All you need to do is give me a quick rundown of eight things, one from each game. You know, for example, the fact that uh, Quinn's tongue looks exactly like Behemoth's tongue in Final Fantasy II. That's acceptable, okay? No, I'm just kidding. And, and keep in mind that, that Phil doesn't like awesome things like traditional turn-based Japanese battle systems. That's right, which means there could very well be a traditional Japanese-based – in fact, I can tell you there's a couple of traditional Japanese RPGs in this pile that could be yours today. So get the contest question. Or whenever you answer the question, actually. Yeah, or or, yeah, whenever the week goes by and we see who gets the best answers and and stuff like that. So, nah. Huh. Anyways, just a reminder that your questions and comments may be written on the boards at rpgamer.com, or you can always email them directly to me at jcservant at rpgamer.com. You may also record and mail in your two-minute reviews on any of the games we're going to be talking about next week or this week. Questions, comments, etc. Follow us at twitter.com forward slash rpgamer and become our biggest fans at facebook.com forward slash RP Gamer. And next week, next two weeks, in two weeks from now, we will be talking about a Symphonia's Fantastic Eternal Destiny. What do you come up with these things, Mike? I, I Essentially, we're talking about some Tales of games. Tales of games. We're also going to be talking about the Rain Slick Precipice of Darkness. So, go figure that one out. 
Yeah. That's a Penny Arcade adventure. Mm. So, if you got any comments, questions about those games, mail those in, or you want to go on a Final Fantasy two-minute, Final Fantasy nine two-minute rant, send those ins today. I want to thank my. Or if you want, of- or if you want to go rant about Tales of Fantasia, Symphonia, Destiny, or uh, what was the fourth one? Eternia. There we go. Which may or may not be in this pile that I have here. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I will say, I will say that there is a Tales game in the pile. Okay? Ooh, that just Ooh. might get some answers. So I might sweeten the pot a little bit. Um, and since I don't believe there's any Tales games on the DS, one can presume it's a PSP Tales game. So, alrighty. Um, Becky, do you have anything to say to our audience? Anything you want to plug on the website or anything like that before we leave? I just have to say that Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep is um, an excellent, excellent game um, back to the spirit of Kingdom Hearts 1, but with a better battle system. So if you have a PSP, go get it. I watched the game trailer review. It does look really, really good. It's fun. Yeah. Mr. Calendar. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm falling asleep here. Um... Yeah, uh, I'm actually just going to echo what Becky said, really. Um, go and play Birth by Sleep. It is. He's, he's actually acting it out, Birth by Sleep. He's sleeping on the job. That's okay. It's, it's really late over there. You no, know, it, was, it, was, it was actually the talk of the Japanese toilet that put him to sleep. Mm, warm, fuzzy, showers you from underneath. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, a, thanks a bunch. Um, yeah, go, seriously, go play Birth by Sleep. It's a very good game. Yeah. Mr. Scott Wackamater. Um, if any of you are fans of, you know, the more traditional board, table, dice, pencils type game, uh, check out an indie mech sim, uh, mech war game called Iron Tyrants. It looks pretty damn sweet, and I'm not just plugging it because they gave me a free copy. <laughs> can, can you do us a favor, Scott, and, and when Mike uh, posts this show, can, can you reply on the forum and, and put a link to that? So sure our thing. audience can go and click on that. So read the forums and they can they can find out. Is that a free game or? Um, right now it's still up for pre-order, but if you pre-order now, you get the PDF, and then they will ship you a print copy when that's ready. There you go. It, it, it's oh. affordable. <laughs> there, um, Mr. Tom. Uh, if the listeners would like, they can read my news on the Escapist and comment and tell me how much that you love me. There you go. Is that just escapist.com? Escapistmagazine.com. There you go. Max. Send in fan art. That's it. Send in fine fan art and whatnot. Hey, Mike, have you done any new reviews lately that our listeners need to know about? Uh, the last review I did was for Chrono Cross, and I think enough people looked at that that anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it seems to have gotten a lot of attention. I will have a new review coming up soon, uh, presuming, of course, that I can type. It's fairly hard to type with one of your fingers in a splint, but uh, we'll see. And I'm going to let that be a surprise. Although, nice. I will I will preface it by saying, it is not a good game. <laughs> it is not completely awful, but it is not a good game, and it went on way too long. But you already did a review on Chrono Cross. <laughs> this one went on longer. Wow. <laughs> oh, this one had random dungeons. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm thankful that you did, at least did the uh, Chrono Cross um, 
the Chrono Cross review because on one of the websites you managed to piss off, they, someone did post a uh, a rather fetching image of um, Gundam Astray Red Frame giving the finger, which I have saved for future usage. So you managed to provoke someone into giving me a good English, uh, image macro, so I'm thankful for that. Oh, hey, if you want, I've got a great image of a tourney Gundam flipping the bird. Would you like that? Uh, no, I'll pass on anything you could possibly give me. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness gracious and um uh, i want to thank so i want to thank all y'all for coming on the show done a great job mike especially for not only putting this together but coming in with his finger in a splinter or splinter whatever it's called and helping to pull us through the show really appreciate everything that mr mike minky does to our audience of course we also thank you for listening to rpg backtrack as always you are the reason we do this rpg backtrack is a production of rp gamer your source for rpg news impressions reviews articles and home to the best gaming community on the net write your questions and comments on our boards or email jcservant at rpgamer.com and help shape our future shows as always listen to our previous podcast as well as our awesome sister show rpg cast at rpgamer.com and a reminder to our audience that if you stay on the, uh, after the show ends here uh, there's actually a little segment that Becky and I did talking about the promotion stunt that GOG did which we recorded after the main show here so hold on tight for that Mr. Mike, take us out of here well everybody who's expecting a grand send off this will not be quite so grand I can talk about how awesome it is to be beaten in the dirt by Beatrix repeatedly. I can talk about how simultaneously awesome and scary it is to be assaulted by the four bosses on the way to Kuja. But mostly I'm just going to talk about how Kuja, Zidane, and all of the Black Mages pretty much, they stepped right out of Blade Runner. So go watch Blade Runner because that is an awesome movie and Ridley Scott did very, very well. in the show we mentioned that uh, GOG uh, goodoldgames.com was off the air basically when you went to the website they had a big old notice that that we went over that I kind of read over on the show earlier and during my editing process which for me takes several days because my life is just so busy and hectic the site has come back up so I've invited our other PC guru, Miss Becky, to have a little discussion about what we're, what happened at GOG.com and what are our feelings on it and, and maybe where is it going with this. <laughs> well, I um, there were a lot of rumors that it wasn't going down for good and apparently those rumors were correct and that it was basically they just took the site down for a relaunch 
um, improved some stuff, got it out of beta. Uh, they didn't get a very good reaction from that, so apparently they decided to dress up like monks and apologize profusely in a YouTube video, um, <laughs> which was which kind of amusing. Brought brought new meaning to the phrase "be right." So, yeah, I, I like it when the monks are like, um, well, Bob, um, <laughs> it does sound very monkish to me sometimes, but it was cute, it, yeah, I guess. It looked like they filmed it in their closet or something. Probably um, did. Yeah, probably did. Yeah, so, I mean, I think I might mention this earlier in the show, it's been a couple of days, but uh, there were three, there were three hypothesis out there one of course was that they were doing this as a pr stunt to relaunch the final site because it's been in beta for over two years or about two years the uh, second one was that they were being uh, um, that they were going down for good and then the third one was that they were going down uh, and coming back but with a drm scheme because they were under pressure by publishers and whatnot and i remember in uh, i subscribed to a heroes of might and magic mailing list and some of the members there were posting articles about one of the parent companies actually uh, having some problems or maybe buying them out or something like that. I don't keep up with business too well. So it looked like there was actual evidence behind each one of these theories. Yep, but it looks like number one was correct because I haven't seen any evidence of any DRM. So. Yeah, door number <laughs> one. Yeah, door number <laughs> one was the right door. So they have, uh, they do have, if you go to GOG.com, the size back up, it, it looks slightly different, definitely looks a little bit more modern. And over on the left side, they've got some articles, and it, right now it's the second article. It says, Welcome to the Brand New GOG. If you click on that, you're going to see a number of videos that they posted online, and which kind of, which shows the monks apologizing, uh, plus it goes over the new features of the website and gives you a little bit of idea what they're going for. Yep. And, and, and I understand they opened this up to with a, they also opened up the site with another big announcement, Becky. Oh yes, that they now have Baldur's Gate, as they are going to have further Hasbro-owned games on the site, which is pretty cool. It, it does Hasbro by chance do Baldur's Gate too? I think they own all that. That don't ask me to get into the Wizards of the Coast ownership stuff, Dungeons and Dragons ownership stuff, because it's extremely labyrinthine. Um, you probably would want to ask Mr. Walker about that one. Yeah, I'm not sure, but it would be cool if they could get the second one as well, because I mean, generally speaking, the second one was definitely a big improvement over the first. Yeah, um, I don't know who owned Dungeons and Dragons when Baldur's Gate Two came out, because it's changed hands so many times. And having this, you know, having this classic on GOG, if you ever want to play Baldur's Gate 1 again, I would I would certainly pony up the $9 they're asking for. It includes the expansion. It's going to be compatible with Vista, something which probably can't be said for the original. Um, and best yet, you don't have to have four CD disc because yep. memory serves correct. Oh, plus the uh, disc for the expansion. Uh, memory serves correctly. I was switching disk, finding disk, installing off of multiple disk, and whatnot. Yeah, I'm sure I have a box somewhere with Baldur's Gate disks in it. But um, they also, you mentioned Vista compatibility, but I noticed they also now have a clear indicator as to whether games are compatible with Windows 7, which is pretty cool. Um, I haven't had any trouble. I've only purchased um, Might and Magic stuff from them, and I haven't had any trouble running it on Windows 7, but that's kind of cool that they have that now. Yeah, but I think I think there's an article up that they're working on trying to get all 200 or 
40 of their games that are in their library uh, compatible with Windows 7. I think they're about halfway there. But when you go to buy a game now, it clearly shows you, which it didn't really in the past, but you'd have to look the forums or something. But now it clearly says compatible with Windows 7 on, on a number of their games. So it's easy to tell if you got a Windows 7 machine whether or not it's going to be guaranteed to, to work for the most part. And their support's pretty good. I had one issue with one of the uh, GOG games that I got on one of my machines. I posted on the boards. One of the admins responded within, I, I don't remember if it was half a day or something, and I was able to get the problem fixed. So it, it, their their support is, is really outstanding. Now, Becky, how since since we now know this was really just a big, huge stunt, and, and they did it clearly for the PR, because while they were down for those four or five days, there was post all over the internet that they might be <laughs> shutting their doors or whatnot, and now that that's clearly uh, not the case, and that it was you know PR stuff from the get-go, how does that make you feel as, as a PC gamer? Well, you know, I understand that these guys are probably not the most business-savvy people. Um, they're guys that really love games and put together this service with no DRM, which is pretty awesome. Um, I think that what they did was probably a bit much considering the changes that they made. Um, they could have maybe pulled it off if there had been something really amazingly incredible, um, but I don't think Baldur's Gate and some system upgrades quite quite works for it. I'm not going to get all up in arms about it, quite frankly, because... I have better things to do with my time, <laughs> but I know some people are really angry and you know, we're never going to buy from these guys again, blah, blah, blah. But it's up to people how, how they want to react to it, but I think it was just kind of a stupid move on their part. Yeah, clearly the uh, the nerd uh, moon is full and the nerd werewolves are coming out with their with their fury. I'm not going to buy any more games. I'm closing my account, whatever. Um, yeah, it, it was perhaps a, a bit silly on their part and whatnot and uh, you know, but as a business person, it, as someone who's in business and understands the value of good advertisement and whatnot, probably what they did made business sense, even if it ticked off some of their uh, loyal customers and whatnot. Uh, and at the end of the day, it is kind of funny and and. You know, it didn't bother me any, but then again, I download my games when I buy them, and since it's DRM free, I don't need the site to be running in order to play my games. So it wasn't like yeah. I was without my games. Well, and they when they put up the announcement, they said that people will be able to get have access to all their games starting on Wednesday. So it's not like they really left anybody hanging, yeah. thinking that they had lost their games forever. So you know, I I I would say it's not that super huge of a deal, and they did get a lot of attention out of it and a lot of people who hadn't heard of GOG before may have heard about it now so you know it might work out okay for them in the long run even though they probably could have done it a little bit better yeah so uh, from um, so they got Botter's Gate that's going to be really cool they're working on um, a couple of my favorite games Age of Wonders uh, 1 they already have and they're going to have Age of Wonders 2 with the uh, standalone expansion soon uh, so those are really, really great games. And, of course, they got a lot of RPGs for RPG, uh, you know, being RP gamers and stuff, Fallout, Arcanum. So, you know, definitely go and check it out if, if you're if you're into retro gaming on the PC. Um, I can't rec recommend GOG enough. Uh, you can buy them, download them. They come with lots of extra soundtracks, um, extra pictures, wallpapers, desktops, icons. 
those types of things. They have the manuals. Things. If there's crazy copy protection, they have ways to do that. So problem that a lot of retro gamers have is if you lose the stupid paper spinning wheel that you needed for your copy protection, then you're out of luck. So they've made sure that that's all available. So it's actually, I mean, they, they do a really good job with what they do. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and like I said, the support is just top notch. And some of these games, you can try as much as you want, but you'll never get them to work on a Windows Seven machine. So, oh boy. At any rate, well, that's our that's our little last minute gog update there. We wanted to get that in before I finalize podcast. Thank you so much for for coming on, helping me out with this, Becky. No problem. You, you Have a go- good evening and you, good luck with the editing. <laughs> you can you can go back and and play your uh, gog limited edition of Might and Magic One through Six. Right, gonna get that knocked I- out tonight. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I won't be watching TV tonight instead. Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> Alrighty. And thanks, uh, thanks, guys, for listening, and we'll see you all in a couple of weeks.